This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. The party is beginning. Now you've lost your last name, Jeff. Hey. Yesterday you were, you know, why why do Jeffrey I get Liam special Simpson. one name treatment? Now you have it too. Yeah. We delivered you. More you important? ask, we deliver. You're right there with Oprah. Pretty soon you're just going to call me J. J Dog. And then J. And yeah. Uh, don't bring up <laughs> Oprah. Oprah, more and more people are talking about Oprah running for president. Apparently she is yeah, considering it. Yeah. She's, no, she's not. Yes, she's yes, con- seriously yes, considering yesterday it. Yesterday it was no, except for, um, what's his name? Her, her, uh, her, her partner. Uh, yeah. I forgot his name. Stedman. 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 He said, yeah, she's totally into this. Or, you know, she's considering it or whatever he said. He Stedman. Was, and now Gail King's on CBS, her friend, saying that um, there's all these people. Yeah, she's talking about it. They're she, in her, CNN in, had a report yesterday. In her Golden Glove speech, she talked about hope is on the way. Right. There's like a mm. hope. That's There's great. something coming. It'd be interesting because we've had somebody from Hollywood on the conservative side run. It'd be interesting yeah. to see if people would be burnt out from somebody running from Hollywood or if they would yeah. welcome a no. Democratic well, Na- Hollywood Nancy person. Nancy Pelosi says it may not be the best thing for the country to have no. another Hollywood person in there. Not at all. But She's- it's Oprah Winfrey, for heaven's sakes. You said it yesterday. She needs to back somebody. And, like, really put herself behind, her influence behind that person. That's probably where she could do the best for whatever cause she's She backed Barack Obama. That turned out okay for him. I will say this. She is more likely to run than Tom Hanks as her running mate. Yeah, we don't need anyone (laughs) else. I mean, I get Oprah because she kind of has taken a different tack, right? She's, She's more of a diplomat now. I mean, she's helping Weight Watchers. So she's taken this to a different direction. She's like a voice of moral authority. Hmm. You know what I mean? Plus she gives away cars. Yeah. Plus she's got stuff under your seat if you're in her audience. It's pretty nice. Uh, by the way, unbelievable game if you watched it. The championship game last night uh, for college football. For about a quarter and a half, it was really good. It was It was a the great game. The rest of game. it was... Ugh. Seriously. And the end of that game, I mean, they, they pull out the, the big name. Uh, what's his name? Hurt hurts their quarterback. Hurts. He's not like he's not a really good quarterback, but he's, he's okay. They he's the best him quarterback now on the best team, and well, then they for, yank him. He's, uh, okay. and put a freshman in. Yeah, a freshman. Yeah, that's the real move. They pull. See, the thing with Alabama, they've won six championships under their current coach, eleven yeah. overall. Yeah. Right. So under their current coach, Nick Saban. They've never had a top quarterback. You don't need one, I guess, when everyone else on the everyone team is Everyone else the best. on the team is top. That's where they focus, and they bring in someone that's okay. Now, this, this, this uh, freshman that won the game. Unbelievable. He, he's a five-star recruit coming yeah. out of Hawaii. So, I mean, he's, a, he's a really a, allegedly a good talent when you get the college recruiting. It's kind of a, a, a wish-wash of uh, accuracy. But, <laughs> but it is interesting that they don't have, like, the, you don't have like your Heisman Trophy guy. He's not no. the guy that's going to yeah. step into the NFL <laughs> and <laughs> and be successful. You don't most need of, that. Most of the quarterbacks move on to the next level right. and really struggle. Right. And so they have an average quarterback, and they've been able to be really successful yeah. with a guy back there that most of the time can't throw the football accurately. 
Well, that's, that's why crazy. They, that's why they pulled the starter, because he couldn't throw the football. They thought the other guy could throw the ball better, and they needed uh, to catch up. Yeah, he did, by the way. They needed to score 13 points to make, to make up the deficit. They ended up did tying it. it at 20, and they went to overtime. And so this was who? Alabama, Georgia. Alabama, Georgia. It was really hmm. great that the SEC invited the rest of the country to the national championship to watch. Yeah, unless, of course, now here's the thing. Central Florida. Yeah, they Central beat Auburn Florida. Last week, right? Undefeated. So they go undefeated. Auburn beat Georgia and Alabama. Oh, boy. Right? So a Central Florida, who's undefeated, yeah. who beat the team that uh, beat both of the yeah. teams in the title game, does that matter? Mm, no, should. it doesn't. Because now they're, doesn't. they're sixth in the, li- the yeah. latest polls. Well, because they're not Alabama. Right. And Alabama, they did that last night with three freshmen. So you have the quarterback that came in at halftime. True freshman. Mm-hmm. He played like, in high school so last 18 year. 18 years old. The leading rusher, leading running back, freshman last year in high school. <laughs> right? And then Alabama, the leading receiver, I believe the guy that caught the touchdown. Yeah. He was a freshman yeah. last year. He was in high school. These are who they're winning with. I kind of know how these kids feel. Oh, really? Oh, Last night, uh, I installed our new smart thermostat, and uh, things weren't going well there for a while. It, it was, was kind of touch and go. Yeah. Uh, but I, I went in there the second half. I gave it all I got, and uh, I gave it, just it sort of plug and play. I gave That's it a hundred ten percent. Yeah, was. and uh, in the end, we came out on top. Yeah, and uh, we're just going to keep plugging away. Uh, no, and I now, plugged it in. What about the next game? Are you looking? Are you looking to the championship, or are you just looking to the next game? For the next installation. <laughs> Wait till it gives you like the message that it wants to update itself. We're, we're just Whoa. we're just celebrating the moment. We're we're not thinking about uh, what's coming up next. We're just enjoying the moment. Yeah, you know that has those are not even parallel. Really? No. The guy, a freshman, an eighteen year old. But I gave it a hundred ten percent. A thirty five yard bullet. More Actually, than that. it was more than my, about. I mean, it was on the forty, but he ran back to the fifty to throw oh, it. It so. was an unbelievable oh, yeah. bullet. It was, a, pass. it was about thirty five degrees outside when I installed it. No, no, no. You're, I think you're missing the point. And you have to turn the furnace off so the whole house gets cold. That's right. Wife's a little worried that you're I not going to be able I had to, to build a fire. This. I had to build a fire to go gather wife, some wood. Wife has no confidence in your skills in installing this. No, thing. No, no, I've no, been no. there. And the quarterback was looking off the yeah. safety but you to watch, keep the safety my moving wife, where he needed to move. Then my at the wife, last second turns his head and throws a 40-yard bullet. My wife was my safety. She was standing there with a flashlight the whole time. Yeah. You didn't watch the game, did you? And uh, no, there were a couple, of, a couple of the screws fell. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of it kind of wow. had a scary moment there. But we picked them up. There, it's, Couldn't it's, get those labels to stick on right. It's mm. a little different. It's a little different. But let me tell you, that smart thermostat is awesome. Smart. That <laughs> thermostat can think for itself. With the Alabama, going back to the oh, football game. Yeah. Um, we get distracted I by I thought thermostats. we were talking about football this so, whole time. Uh, nope. The quarterback that came in at halftime is a freshman. Yeah. The guy that won all the games all year and got them to that point, but then pulled at halftime, he's a sophomore. Yeah. They're all coming back next year. Who's going to play? Yeah. you got to go with the guy that... The Wonderful, sophomore yeah. that was polled was very gracious. He was over there coaching yeah, up he was the freshman. This was a team yeah. of sophomores no. that won the game? Mm-hmm. When you're good, you don't even make it to your junior year most of the time. So you know, that's you, interesting because right? this was kind of my sophomore installation. Oh, wow. It was a very sophomoric discussion. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway, uh, so if you watch the game, you, you, had, so, a, you had a fun y- night. Yay, exciting, but eh, Alabama won again. But more, more importantly than maybe that um, are the talks between North and South Korea, which I'm sure Terry's going to enlighten us on. Terry, let's talk headlines. 
So North Korea has said it will send its athletes and a high-level delegation to the Winter Olympics in South Korea next month after the two rival Koreas held their first official talks in more than two years. It's out of Bloomberg. Uh, during a sit-down between the two sides at the Truce Village on Tuesday, so earlier this morning, uh, North Korea officials said they were uh, they would like to improve ties with the South through further dialogue. Because I think we should be engaged in these talks with an earnest, sincere manner to give the New Year's first gift precious results of talks to the Korean nation, North yeah. Korea's top delegate says. By the way, did you notice the delegations? They're, they're all, you know, dressed in black suits, white shirts. Well, sure. And so, like, I would have been it's the guy business. that wore the tan suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? You I thought just, maybe yeah. it was one of the, not the Me Too movement, but the Time's Up movement. Not us movement. No, it, yeah, it, it was a real weird throwback. Everybody in dark suits. South Korean officials said they'd like to first tackle cooperation with North Korea on the upcoming Olympics before later getting to the more sensitive political and military issues. But as a sign of easing tensions, delegates from Seoul propose that both nations march together at the games, oh, wow. according to Bloomberg. That's great. The South is really trying to, By the way, ridiculous, let's fix this. The South is doing everything they can. They're even going to pay for the North Koreans to yeah. come down. They, 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 they may want... even give them a, a cruise ship. Offshore, so that they, they can, can isolate. have their own people yeah. they wherever they want. They don't want the South doesn't want any missiles launched during the yeah. games. I think that would kind of draw attention away from well, what it they're would, trying to yeah, do. Yeah, it would mess a few things up. <laughs> I mean that, but hopefully this could you know segue into something else. I don't know that the government's real in love with this idea. Yeah, I don't mm. know. We'll have to see. Hmm. In other news, officials have ordered thousands of people who were affected by recent wildfires in South uh, Southern California to evacuate as an upcoming winter storm poses a threat for mudslides and flash floods. Mandatory evacuations were issued for about 7,000 people in mountainous areas affected by the Thomas, Witter, Sherpa, and Ray fires, according to the Santa Barbara County oh, Office boy. of Emergency Management. Another 23,000 people were under evacuation warning. So this is because all the... Foliage and yep. trees and stuff burn, and then you just have mud. Then just you just then mount, mountains just start moving. This is uh, it never ends. To after a fire, it takes years to get it back. This is nature's way of kind of revenge. Sloughing. This is what you itself. get when you build your house on me. Is that what? No? Yeah, you build your house on me. <laughs> you and killed I take my. You, you out. killed my brother as a tree. <laughs> Prepared You're going down. That's right. President Trump meets today with Republicans and Democrats to discuss the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals or DACA program, yeah. which increasingly appears to be a make-or-break piece for this month's must-pass spending bill. CNN reports. Republicans say Democrats won't budge on a budget unless the 800,000 Dreamers brought to the U.S. illegally as children are protected from deportation. Why won't Democratic leadership negotiate with us, Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, says. Huh. Why, why won't they negotiate with us? He goes, because we refuse to simply pass the DREAM Act as, as is with no proportional border security and interior enforcement measure. So what he's saying is they just want this bill passed. They don't want anything attached yeah. to it. They want a clean bill, as they right. say, right? The Republicans, they want to attach funding for the wall. Mm. Right. Well, 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 they would say they wouldn't put it that way. They would say we want to ensure that our approach to immigration is complete with security on the border. Yeah, they want the wall because they Trump, want to secure the border. Because Trump wants the wall, and they're going to fight for what he wants because he's you and, know, and people would say Trump doesn't just want it. 
he, unless there can be a hotel in it. Yeah. Trump and a golf course <laughs> a uh, golf next course. to it. But, Which there is. Yeah. There's a golf course along the border that oh, yeah. they're going to have to put a wall through. That would be so tough to get your ball back, though, if it went oh, over yeah. the wall. Yoo-hoo! Could you toss the ball back? Insiders are pessimistic about the possibilities of reaching a long-term budget deal, and the government shutdown looms just 10 days away. Well, you know what they'll do. What they've done every kick other the week. Bucket down the yeah, road they just again, kick, kick it the three more weeks yeah. down the road. And uh, we have a guest coming up here in a few yeah. minutes about social media, what it's doing to us, those types of things. Millions of Americans use social media daily, but that doesn't mean they love it, or so they say. Some of the most used social media products in the world, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, are also some of the ones that Americans have strongest negative feelings about, according to a new survey. Really? Case in point, Twitter. 330 million active users, whatever that number means, around the world as of, as of September, and the U.S. president uses it to threaten uh, war and blast the news media. Most people, 89%, are familiar with the platform, but they are divided on how they feel about it, according to the poll. Some, 46% of Americans surveyed want to, in the survey's parlance, kill it and hope it dies. Wow. Mm. While 43% want, it to, want to fuel it to keep it alive. They Okay, so... This is a Harris poll, by the so way. So people, they 46% don't like Twitter. want Twitter to, as it says, kill it and hope it dies. So they have a negative view. 43% have a positive view. So it's split. Yeah. Kill it and hope it dies. Isn't that what Kylo Ren said in Star Wars? Could have been. I, I think I got a Christmas card that said that. <laughs> Facebook, 32% say that they hope it would go away. 64% say that we should, we should keep it. But everybody that's saying this are not the 310 million Twitter lovers. Well, uh, they're, they're saying there's 330 million, 46% of the people they talk to. They, they surveyed 2,000 people. Yeah. See, now listen, I could probably be considered an active Twitter user, even though I maybe tweet once every two years. It's been a couple of years since I've tweeted I, something. I'd say you're less active. Really? I mean, once every two years? Yeah. I tweet uh, 10 times a day, and I don't even know how to tweet. That's how amazing it is. Well, you just sit in your office and you whistle. No, I do it. Terry while you it. you whistle while you whittle a stick. But don't you think if you if everybody wants the president to quit tweeting, mm. then those everybody on Twitter needs to get off. If everybody on Twitter would just turn off Twitter for three months, the it's president would would probably quit. It's a good I, point. I think if people really thought about it, they're probably fine with the president having a Twitter account. They just wish somebody else was doing it. Oh, that's rude. Because past presidents have been on Twitter, yeah, and they had a staff that took care of that, right? Unless someone you know gave it to him, and then he they they would put out something that was measured, something that was planned, and not something that was off the top of their head that misspelled words. And well, what would you then expect the president to do the rest of the day? Well, he has executive time, as we've learned. Um, there's plenty of TV to watch. You can actually look at Twitter and not tweet. Has he taken yeah. advantage of the extra characters? Um, does he? I think he does. Hmm. As they extended it past the 140. Does he? I think he does. I think he's going to take every advantage he has. He's also threading his tweets. Oh, Where you he? can, like, connect so, yeah. him so that you have, like, one thought. He knows what he's of. doing. I mean, as far as, he knows what he's doing as far as tweeting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the Sounded reality is, mean. well, once you've watched the entire Golden Girls um, series... Okay. Then there's not a lot of daytime TV that you're going to want to watch. Do you think he's watched Golden Girls? I don't know. Hmm. But he watches cable news. 
Does he? That's what he says. That's what they say. Well, what could he say? Yeah, I was just watching infomercials all morning. He has like the impulse to tweet what he's watching, it looks like. So if he's watching something else, we're going to like random prices right yeah. sort of tweets or. See, yeah, there it is. C- C- CNN was It'll just saying, say, oh, Blanche. <laughs> Blanche! <laughs> CNN was saying that I, I guess uh, Anderson Cooper could track every one of his yeah. tweets to an exact time on Fox News. Yeah. But, People do this daily. You'll see it out there like, oh, 9.15. But they also Fox say News he has said three this. televisions. So one television you know is on Golden Girls. Sure. It's a great show. You know, of the four Golden Girls, Betty White is the only one that's still living. She's still alive. The curse of the Golden Girls. She's mid-90s. That's amazing. And still acting. Yeah. I mean, when I'm 90, I'm not going to be acting. I mean, I'll be acting you, like... I don't know if you're going to make it I'll be 90s. acting like a 90-year-old. Huh. What was that? I, nothing. Wow. Seemed kind of low. Yeah, that's kind of mean. You don't say that when he's in the room. Do you guys say it when I'm out of the room? No comment. Boy. Um, Did you hear 7-Eleven? Yeah. Which, it's not 7-Eleven's fault, I guess. No. Um, 2,000 7-Eleven customers may possibly have been exposed to hepatitis A in Utah. Yeah. Uh, Holy, Betty White is 95 years old. Yeah. Just had her birthday. Yeah, so the 7-Eleven, they had uh, the, the public health department. A worker in Utah. had hepatitis A but so kept this, working, yeah. which you'd have to do because, you know, you you got to make your money or yeah. keep your benefits or whatever. So they send out a warning on. saying that if you, between these times, if you went to this store and you purchased. If you used the restroom, yeah. consumed a fountain drink, there you go. fresh fruit or food from the hot food case. Yeah. You should so probably contact the health department. If you bought like Scary. an apple, a banana, or you picked up a taquito, yeah. make a phone call. I mean, this isn't if you did IV drugs in the parking lot. Yeah. This is if you came in <laughs> and got a soda at our soda fountain, Yeah, you probably ought to contact the health department. <laughs> oh, if, you rent, if you rented a movie from Redbox. <laughs> and I've been to this location. Oh, have you really? Yeah, it's in a good 7-Eleven. year or two? Mm, no. You sure? Well, I've driven by it. I know Any, where it is. The key is any time between December 26th a, and January a, it's 3rd. It's in a Target parking lot. That's kind of a, a wide range of, of days there. Yeah, that's when the employee had, you know, Ooh. I guess raging hepatitis A. <laughs> but, I mean, think about it's that. It's scary. But this goes on. We hear a story like this in every state. Probably every day there's a story like right. this. Did he have a demanding boss that he, this guy just had to be at work? No, yeah. but, he, but they need the money. You His need name's the money. Phil. Phil's Phil. demanding. You don't understand. Everybody's got to fill. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, think of just everyday life. You're out just doing what you're doing. You stop in, grab a drink. It's just a very common thing. Then you find out you have hepatitis. By the way, do you know what the answer to this is? Glove up or something? What? Conscientiousness with hygiene, hand washing, and not working when you're sick. Okay. Yeah. Shouldn't be that startling. <laughs> <laughs> All you have to do is wash your hands and and... Don't go to work when you're sick. Hmm. Like this person probably was nauseous, had a fever. Should you get out of your car, right? Yeah. Put on the, the, the mask. Well, you'd have to glove up. Right. Put on gloves. No, it won't matter because then you're, you're getting a drink that the person had cleaned all the little spouts. and <laughs> Some of us are just more dedicated to our work than others. So, totally. I, no, I, came, I, I came when I was sick. You let a little sniffle yeah. and some kidney stones yeah. keep you away. I couldn't believe it. Okay, but let's be. Let, are you not hearing what I'm saying here? If if you're <laughs> sick, you you don't come to work, or you you will infect people. I've been so infected. I've been like infected. I mean, affected 
<laughs> by your performance at work you can't on a daily basis. You can't prove no, the infection on, or the And I mean that in the best affect. way in best way possible. Hmm. Wash your hands, folks. Don't come to work if you're sick. It's pretty it's very basic public health. If you're sniffling, stay home. See, we have the benefit at BYU Radio of having little spit guards for our speak for our uh, microphones. Those can we'll wash those off. I take I take mine out twice a day and hose it down. I've got a spit guard in between you and me. Yeah, like a salad bar. Yeah, you to me look like a cucumber waiting to be put on my salad bar plate. Healthy and delicious. No. Oh. And by the way, I I wasn't going to get into this. Went to church Sunday, and the you know usually the parents bring little treats for the little kids because they want to try to keep them quiet, do whatever they can to keep them happy and quiet. But you won't believe. What um, I saw, this kid pulls – the mom pulls out the treat basket for every – for the little boy and guess what it is? It's all of a sudden, it's – he's got tomatoes, cucumbers in his little treat jar. The slipperiest of produce. And this little one-and-a-half-year-old kid was popping little cherry tomatoes through church. I was so envious. He had a little salad going. And some grapes. I, I, oh, it was. It Didn't was he pull time. out a, a pepper crusher too? Yeah. Can just sprinkle some of that on no, there? He did a little bit of everything. It's pretty neat. And pepper he didn't wine, even use ranch. He didn't even use ranch dressing to dip it in. Wow. I know. That's, that's the new parenting model right there. Get your kids healthy while giving them treats at church. Hey, straight ahead, we will be talking about why it may not be good for you to keep score of your friends and keep counting how many friends you have on Facebook or how many friends your friends have. It may be impacting your self-esteem, and we'll teach you what to do about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Social media is changing the way we look at the world and the way we look at ourselves. Is it really healthy for us to be using social media to measure our success? Here to speak with us uh, about it is Ashley Willens. She's a professor at the Harvard Business School and a returning guest to the Matt Townsend Show. Ashley, thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you for having me. This is uh, – I, I love your research because you, you – in, in your research on social media, you found out – that when it comes right down to it, as as human beings, comparisons really matter a lot to us. They do. Um, I mean, we're people. We're all inherently social um, by nature, and so the presentation of others' social networks can really significantly impact our happiness. Why? So when I am looking at my friends to see how many friends they have on Facebook, you're saying I guess some of that is normal, but why am I doing it? What is it? What does it give me? So our research didn't look at that specific question, but there has been some research showing that it really does, that we can actually form connections or form relationships with people through our interactions with social media. So it's not that social media is necessarily bad or good, but depending on how we use it and how we think about it, it can have either positive or negative uh, consequences for our happiness. So we've done some research, and other research has really looked at this idea of lurking, 
which is when we when we're, that's I know such I a weird word I lurking. Have to say it. Yeah. Um, where we're just passively observing others' content on social media, like on Facebook or LinkedIn, Twitter. When we're, we spend more time passively engaged in, in social media, that's when we start to see negative implications for well-being, belonging, and happiness. But when we spend time looking at our own profiles, Interestingly, that can actually have a self-affirming effect. Really? Um, so there's been a, one paper looked at how looking at our own profile can sort of verify what we care about and who our friends are and actually make us feel better. Uh, whereas in general, though, on average, actively engaging in social interactions, much like actively engaging in social interactions in life, seems to be the best for happiness. Interesting, yeah. And um, so really, I guess the key is don't we don't need to demonize social media as good or bad. We just say it, it's really more about how you approach it. If you approach it kind of as a stalker, a lurker, one that just is constantly passively looking deeply into everyone else's life, it, it will probably impact you psychologically, emotionally. Yes. I mean, I think we want to engage in the same social behavior that's beneficial for <laughs> us in our daily lives as we want to engage in that social behavior online. So oh, just man. like having small interactions with friends and family, even passing colleagues in the hall and saying hi is, is good for, for positive mood. Similarly, seeking out social interactions through social media as opposed to watching others have social interactions is, is best for happiness. That's good. Talk about your research. What specifically did you do in your study um, looking at, at how we look at the numbers of friends others have in social media? Yeah. So, so one, we kind of have two related projects. And, and the first project really wasn't so much related to social media, but definitely social media can fundamentally shape how we see and think about the social connectedness of others. But, but in the one paper that we recently published, we were really interested in understanding how people form friendships when they're new to a, a, a community. So in particular, we looked at first-year university students new to campus. And we wanted to understand whether and how the thoughts that students had about their peers' social networks impacted their own belonging over the course of the year. So we know from a lot of research that having more friends and having quality social relationships is one of the number one predictors of both health and happiness. And in a recent meta-analysis, so uh, a, a combination of a, a lot of um, different papers from many, many years and many, many different labs, Social relationships were one of the key predictors of, of mortality, meaning if we had more positive uh, social relationships, we actually might live longer and happier lives. So there's really evidence huh. that speaks to the importance of social relationships. So we know that having these relationships is good um, for well-being and belonging. But what we know less about is the way that we think about our own and others' social relationships might also impact well-being. So regardless of how many friends I have, how I think about the social relationships of my peer network might also independently impact well-being. And that's what we were really interested in testing. And so we know that in most social domains, people get a rat bad rap. Uh, in most social domains, you know, the research says in social psychology that we all think we're awesome at everything. <laughs> we think we're better than average uh, on exam performance, driving, which uh, we think we're always better than the other drivers on the road and that it's always their fault. 
when it comes to health behavior, we think we're doing better, we think we're exercising more. And so across many, many domains of life, people on average think that they're doing better. But when it came to our study, we actually found that social relationships, especially when we're new to a social network, might be one domain in which we actually think we're doing worse than our peers. And this is where social media might play a role. What we found across two studies is that students who are new to a social network, they thought that their peers were doing better than they were socially. They thought on average that other first-year students at university had more close friends and more social acquaintances than they did, which perhaps unsurprisingly was negatively related to happiness and belonging. So students who thought that their peers were doing better, which was most students that we studied, felt lower levels of happiness and less belonging at university than students who thought they were doing the same or, or better than average. But we did see some silver lining. So students who thought that they were doing a bit worse than their peers at the beginning of the year actually turned it around and made more friends at the end of the year, suggesting that maybe thinking that other people are doing better, at least when we're in a a new social environment, might actually have the positive benefit of motivating us to go and, and seek more social relationships. I get and Yet you could also see that some would be like depressed and fall into, you know, be antisocial behavior. But you're saying overall, we tend to, when we enter a new kind of peer group in college, at least in this setting, in this study you did, um, they, we'd enter in, oh, and we have a tendency to think that the other people around us have more friends, they're more, they're, they're maybe better so at building a social network. But then over time, we end up picking ours up and, and, that, and that difference of what we think others uh, have shrinks. We don't think they have as many friends as as we used to think. Yeah, exactly. It normalizes. It yeah. Us. So yeah. There, there's something about this idea of there being a surmountable gap between ourselves and others. So we don't want to think that other people have so many more friends yeah. than us that we're just never going, you know, that might lead to this antisocial or, yeah. or isolating behavior that you just mentioned. But when students thought their peers maybe were just doing a little bit better than them, it seemed to be motivating. So I think it helped to encourage the students that we studied to to maybe talk to that person in class that they've been thinking about chatting with or to join a new club or or, um, do an extracurricular that they were thinking about. So it seems that there's a motivating property, at least with what we saw in our data, um, suggesting that you know, thinking you weren't doing quite so well was motivating um, in the context of making more friends. Does do you do you think it matters at all um, uh, whether somebody is in college and using social media as opposed to those that are just at home doing it? Um, it would there be a difference? Because it seems like to me, a part of university or college, there is a social side. There is kind of a uh, you know, a, a social, I mean, not for everybody, but it's its a younger group of people and there's a social component a lot of times to the university. Would it be different if we measured uh, 30-year-olds or non-college students? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. I think it's more to do with whether you're new to a social network and less driven by age. Mm, so right. what we found in our studies is that actually these social misperceptions, as we call them, or overestimations, thinking that other, uh, other of your peers have more friends, seem to diminish over time. So when we surveyed second, third, fourth year students in other studies that we've been working on, we find that students are most likely to think that others are doing better socially than they are 
right when they're new to a social environment. Again, suggesting that this belief that others are doing better might be in some way adaptive. Mm. And then over time, these social overestimations diminish. So as we get more experience with our social network, we make friends, we understand our role more in the context of this new social network, these overestimations seem to disappear, suggesting it's, I think, mostly about being new. I've often talked about these findings in the context of workplaces. So, you know, I work in a business school now. I think I didn't the last time we chatted. Um, So I think a little bit more about how some of my research findings um, can be relevant to organizations. And a lot of companies that I've started working with, the onboarding recruitment process of new employees might actually involve communications like that that are communicating organizational culture, a whole lot of employees doing something fun together that might actually have a negative implication for employees who are new joining that social environment. Oh, everyone here already knows each right. other. Um, you know, it's a really connected community that I'm not part of. And so I think that these findings also have implications for the way that em- employers communicate their workplace culture to new employees. We know that this initial year, the first year that employees are at an organization, is the critical year um, when employees decide whether they're going to stay or whether they're going to leave since they've just transitioned. The costs of leaving are less than once they've been at an organization for longer. And so I think that thinking about how these social overestimations and the role of communication and social media and potentially uh, having this negative effect, this unintentional consequence of actually making new people uh, to an organization or a school um, feel excluded as opposed to included, which is really the intention. And we we did run another study um, looking at Facebook profiles, and we had a whole group of, of undergraduate students come into the lab, first year, second year, third year, fourth year, and look at a whole lot of Facebook profiles that differed in how social the content was. So whether they featured groups of students interacting and socializing, or whether they featured, you know, more of the uh, cat photo meme variety of <laughs> social yeah. media posting. <laughs> wasn't all cat memes, right. but you get the joke. Yeah, oh, totally. Yep. Um, and what we actually found is that there was, on average, between the group that saw the more asocial posts and the group that saw the more social posts of UBC students where we conducted the study, that on average there was no difference between condition on belonging or social intentions, but that the social photos, so the Facebook photos that featured groups of people interacting together, were were really negatively impactful in terms of feeling connected and, and, and feeling engaged with the university community for students who are new to the social network, so for the first-year students that we studied, again, suggesting that it's not necessarily age, so we not yeah. found kind of no difference by age, but that it seems that being new really makes us sensitive to the social information we're getting um, about our new environment. And we don't like to see uh, social photos when we're socially insecure because we're new. Exactly. Interesting. So some of the communications that we might be using in workplaces or, or schools to signal that we're a great place where everyone's socially connected might actually be having this sort of negative effect, especially for, for exactly who you're trying to, to show this right. workplace or university culture to, which is uh, people who are new to the environment. Well, Ashley, you know what this means. Now on every you know, new um, Facebook page, uh, there's going to be more pictures of cats. 
and, and I mean, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily be against this at like the first, you know, new people to an environment or welcome to Apple. <laughs> just, just have a bunch of employees holding kitties. Yeah. Um, that is There's research on this. I bet uh, that, there is that that, uh, that looking at photos of animals reduces stress. So isn't you know, that amazing? Like I said, I'm, That's great. I'm a fan. Again, we're speaking with Ashley Willens, who um, works at Harvard's um, business school as a professor at the Harvard Business School, and uh, um, really likes to study complex relationships as well as other issues: consumer psychology, corporate culture, happiness. So, what can I do then? I mean, I did it, it actually just shows us that we really are socially, I guess, um, we're, we're a little socially insecure I, I, as we approach a new situation. And it's important for those that are already in the situation to recognize that people are coming in with a lot of concerns. Exactly. And I think, it's, I think the, the recognition needs to go both ways. Not only do workplaces and schools, universities, need to be mindful of the fact that it's, you know, when you're new to a social environment, there is a lot of insecurity. When we're in a new social environment, we also have to recognize that that's okay. So one of the key messages from this research that we, you know, wanted to, to really get out there is that, you know, we found this, the students that we studied in, in the main paper that we've been talking about today are well-adjusted University students, um, you know, who got into a great university, you know, these are highly functioning young adults, and the majority of them felt like they weren't doing as well as others. Hmm. And, and so one of the key takeaways is that we need to be easy on ourselves when we're in a new social environment. It can be challenging. You know, there, there's new people, you don't understand the dynamics. You're facing a lot of challenges all at once, both in terms of, you know, in a university context, the course material, and also these social relationships, professional relationships. When we're in a workplace, we're dealing with new roles and new responsibilities, a new city perhaps, and navigating a lot of, of, a lot of changes. And so I think our study really highlights the fact that if you're in a new situation and you're feeling alone, that you also need to give yourself some credit and realize that that is totally a normal feeling. And chances are everyone around you is also feeling that way. And that might then encourage you to seek out a social relationship that you think maybe that person already has friends. Maybe they don't want to go for lunch with me. Chances are you're probably both eating lunch alone in your office. You should probably reach out to that other new person and, and, and form a friendship, given that they're likely as looking for a friend as much as you are. That's great advice. Is there, are there things that you could see we could do as parents to, uh, to kind of normalize this, this fear and help our kids be able to step into it a little easier? Uh, to, to normalize interacting with, with other new people? Yeah. I think, I mean, there's been some advice. I haven't looked at, into any research on this, but I think it's a great question. And I think you can kind of help. Um, so one of my colleagues has um, a great paper, Alison Woodbrooks, uh, here in, in, in my department, showing that reframing anxiety as excitement can help people so, you know, mm. uh, um, perform better. And I have some data showing it also helps people negotiate new situations, new social situations in a more productive way. So maybe telling your, your you know, again, normalizing 
this feeling that, you know, you get a little bit of anxiety. It's totally normal to, to feel a little bit uncomfortable when you're uh, interacting with a new person for the first time. So one, normalizing it, kind of saying everyone feels that way, and then helping, you know, your kids or college students, new employees, to reframe some of that social um, anxiety as excitement or enthusiasm for, for meeting a new new group of people that could potentially be lifelong friends. So this malleability idea, this idea that, you know, making friends is hard. Uh, this was Carol Dweck's, some of Carol yeah. Dweck's research at, at Stanford. Um, but this idea that be- these beliefs of, of whether or not we think we can make more friends and, and really trying to tell ourselves making new friends is hard, but this is something I can work on. Um, you know, if someone doesn't reply to a coffee date or a lunch date, just keep trying. They're probably busy. It's not you. It's not you. Uh, yeah, trying to take things less personally and, and try to see the situational factors that might be at play. And really just, you know, keep, keep trying um, and, and, and really tell yourself that it's totally normal. Um, to feel like being new is, is challenging because it is. It's such good advice. Ashley, we love having you on the show, and I'm going to just continue to lurk on your Facebook page and find out your latest and greatest research, so we'll have you back on the show. Ashley Willens is her name, again, an assistant professor at the Harvard Business School, uh, and that article she was just referred to by Allison Wood Brooks, um, I found one that I just found was Get Excited, Reappraising Pre-Performance Anxiety as Excitement. That's exciting for me to even think about uh, to help my clients and to just make all of us understand that, you know, anxiety is normal in all of our lives. Worst comes to worst, go look at some pictures of some animals. Go cuddle up with a kitten. Hey, doing what we can on the program to help you live and be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner Play ball. welcome back friends uh as we think of social media again let's not demonize it and i i just know sometimes this is generational those kids and their social media it's it's such a different world than the world that many of us grew up in, except it's also important to recognize that there are benefits uh, and you can enhance your life by how you choose to use your social media. If Again, if you're doing it and being kind of a passive participant in social media but, and you're spending a lot of time on other people's sites uh, deeply delving into their lives – it may not be as good for your psyche, right, your self-esteem. It may not be as as helpful to you. But if you are actually playing an active part in how you frame your your persona, your image to others, and, and you try to do it in a very realistic way, or if you use your social media as a mechanism or a means to serve other people, you are probably on to something. Or and not even just like to pass on your latest meme, but to actually further a conversation, and you can do it in a way um, that uh, that that I think helps those that are around you and elevates the game of everybody that is also connected to you looking at your feed. It really is something that um, it might be very beneficial for all of us to reevaluate how we use our social media and and ask yourself the question: What is it like? to be one of your uh, you know, page followers? What is it like to be somebody that sees and looks at your postings every single day? 
oh, well, they're so lucky because I just gave them my latest, you know, mind on uh, what's happening with President Trump or whatever. Be careful. Are you somebody that elevates the world by how you're using your social media? And I'm not, again, talking that you just have to sit and blow, you know, fluffy unicorn smoke everywhere um, and and try to change everybody to just be, you know, optimistic and naive about the world. But you can ask good questions and you can um, support good causes and you can bring great stories and show the real the the real side and the reality of life that there we can conquer issues. Um, interestingly, one of my favorite uh, Instagram posts that I follow is um, it's a it's a young couple uh, where one of the the husband and the couple was in an accident, I believe, injured himself and uh, is a, is a quadriplegic and is going through treatment right now. And it is the most beautiful thing ever to watch the wife caring for this husband as he's slowly starting to regain some of his abilities. And you see love, you see caring. It's just – it is such a beautiful experience. And for me, the idea of being able to every single day, um, if I'm going to be elevated, it's so easy to just go to that page and see a wife lovingly living up to her beliefs and her covenants and uh, and guiding her husband back. And then to see the light in his eye as, as she teases him and as they play together, um, it really is just, uh, I think, I think it's powerful. And it is something each and every one of us can do is to try to find the good in the world and then share that good through your social media. That's the goal, right? Pretty, pretty basic to lift the world one social post at a time. We will continue trying to lift your life as well as ours. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, my friends. You know, uh, life is hard. Um, It's hard enough just trying to live, but then all of a sudden when your HOA gets involved and start pushing their agenda. Do you have an HOA, Matt? No. Are you involved in an HOA, Jeff? Nope. Do you have garages? Yes. We do. Okay. Because that's the problem here is the garage. The HOA is on the garage. So uh, Auburn, California, a HOA is telling everyone in the the, the community, Uh the the neighborhood, that they need to uh, keep their garage doors open from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. What? Some have been abiding by the rules. Others are against it. You can imagine people are concerned, like all my stuff's exposed to the street. Why do they want them open? Well, as it says down here. Um, crazy. One of the owners is quoted as saying, I have nothing to hide. I understand somebody had people living in the garage. Oh, I don't. I am following the rules. All I'm asking is a reasonable way to get around this. If you want to do a, mon- a monthly, bi-monthly inspection of my garage, I have nothing to hide. I have something that's being stored in there. And if you don't like it, I'll remove it. Look, it's a meth lab, okay? <laughs> get off my back. Everyone does a little meth. <laughs> Residents say a $200 fine and an administrative <clears throat> hearing are the potential punishment for keeping the door down. But for some, paying the fine might be worth avoiding a burglary. Well, hold it. In my neighborhood, maybe it's just I live in a bad part of town, but we have to close our garage or somebody will come steal a bike. Yeah. Right. And a lot or of people. A lot of people use their garage as kind of overflow from the house. Yeah. So you got to get all that stuff somewhere else now? That's where I put the kids when they're naughty. Couldn't somebody just as easily sleep in the garage 
you know, not within that eight to four time frame. Yeah, it seems like that's that when be they're the sleeping. Problem. The parties begin when the sun goes down. Yeah, that's what I've heard. So, what would you do? Would you pay the fine? Would you just keep your uh, door down? I mean, no, I would. I'd have a citizens' ridiculous. revolt. I would go start Collect signing signatures. a petition, mm-hmm. and we'd go in, and I'd probably hire some thugs Ooh. to go to the next HOA meeting. Some toughs, if you, you know will. what some you toughs. do. Go to the president of the HOA and rip them off during the hours of eight and four. Well, then, then they won't be. No, fans but then of you've it. committed a crime. Yeah, but yeah, you've you don't proved, want to commit you've a crime. proved a point. The yeah. ends justify the means. I know but you'll, you'll be saying that from the back seat of a police car, and no one will hear you. So there's an HOA meeting scheduled in two weeks. Yeah, that's, where a small riot will happen. It's not going to go well. I mean, instead, let's just solve the real problem. If the real problem is. Stuff in the garage, then let's just go do inspections. Well, people in the garage. If people are living in the garage, then we just do inspections, random surprise inspections with the police. I don't know. That's crazy. Just be grateful you're not in that HOA. Hey, we'll continue the journey more ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. The band is back together. Just like the Beatles. Sans Yoko. Jeff on the banjo. And now Terry's playing dueling banjos. Oh, wow. Here we go, folks. Buckle up. And I'm using my feet. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Look at him work it, though. Yeah. He does need to clip his nails. Isn't that the secret to his, his success with the banjo? Is it the toenail? With the, well, the toenail. <laughs> he likes to keep that one toenail extra long. It's a strumming it's nail. For, for plucking. <laughs> Welcome to the program. Uh, a little ugly thought for you right there. So if, if you're a visual person, we just created a really nasty visual there. You really don't want to be thinking about my feet. No. Um, got, a, got, got a lot to talk about because this, um, the game last night, I still can't get over. Why? National championship game. How much uh, of it did you watch? Over time, I watched a quarter on. Yeah, that was the good part. The final quarter. You watched the first three quarters? Well, I thought... Oh, I come thought, on, guys. Score I point. Thought, well, I kept... I was following it on my phone, and I kept noticing that they've, they've got it. Georgia's got it. Right. They've got it. They've got it. But then, it seems like Georgia quit trusting the their quarterback. Hmm. They kind of... Yep. They, they quit trusting him to just run it, kind of free-fling it. hmm And once you do that... Yeah. They moved away from whatever got them the lead. They Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, anyway, great game last night. As I was telling you, I watched it on one of 20 different options that ESPN put out on their uh, digital platform. Yeah. They had what? They had uh, had your normal view, right? Then you had the the view. uh, They had a special broadcast team pro Alabama and a special broadcast team pro Georgia. Oh, wow. Then you could listen to the radio of Alabama or the radio of Georgia or the national radio broadcast. Just along with the video, you just get the radio play-by-play. 
they had a coach's room where uh-huh. they had five, six coaches all kind of watching it. And, oh, I would do this. Uh-huh. Would do, you know, so that's kind of interesting to listen to, that some of the strategy fantastic. that way. Then you had uh, several different TV networks had their like their their, their flagship shows mm-hmm. were, were doing it. They had one channel that was rotating between about f- uh, four or five different ESPN shows, one in Miami, wow. one in New York, one in L.A., and it would jump to them as they're doing something. Interesting. One one was actually a radio show. So they're sitting in their radio studio trying to do like their radio show as they're watching this game, bemoaning the fact that they have to sit there and do this because <laughs> they have to get up early and do morning radio. Right. Was there was there one that was like um, one was just the zipline camera that runs oh, down the that's field. That's my favorite. They had yeah. one where it was just the sound in the stadium. There was no play by play guy. There was none of that. All you had the only sound you'd hear was cheers from the crowd and then the ref. Well, talking, and then they showed like the halftime in, in yeah. full. And there was no commercials. Well, and the inebriated guy that's yeah. three rows down. So it was as if you were sitting in the stadium if you wanted that sort of atmospheric presentation <laughs> of the game. They had all these different options. Didn't they have like pro-Trump uh, no. game, anti-Trump, no. pro-life, that, green? That was just during the anthem, and then that was done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Trump made it. Yeah. And some are like commenting that he apparently he doesn't know all the words to the national anthem. Did oh, you he, see that? He what? mumbles along like the most of, the, of America does. No, maybe his dentures were falling out, so it didn't we look like he was singing. We do not know if he ha- he does not have dentures. I don't know. We may have proof. The United States. Well, what's that? Oh boy, what was that? It just may. He just he man needs his polydent. He needs he needs more liquid in his mouth. Is that what it is? He's yeah. cotton mouth with loose yeah. dentures. It's because <sighs> what it's, a combination. So you're saying he doesn't have fake teeth and he doesn't have fake hair. I'm saying we don't know. Nothing has been – and I don't think any of that's in the book. It is. They talk about the animal stapled to his head. They don't phrase they do it that not way. They do not say that. Have you read the book? <laughs> no. There's there's a point in there where they talk about the hair. No. Do they really? Yeah. He has quotes from people on staff about the hair. It would be so hard to be a public figure like that. I mean, everything is open. Like, if, even if he's well, being, if he's, what if he's having a moving moment, though? What if he's being moved by the national anthem? Yeah. And then he his just stops f- singing. And, and then every- his teeth fall out no, of No, no, no. Oh, and everybody just still- sits there and says, ah. Uh-huh. See, he doesn't even know the words. Yeah. He was being moved. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, um, some of this he's brought on himself. Oh, sure. Right. Well, yeah, but. The whole benefit of the doubt thing kind of goes away after a while when you don't. Like, you when know, you don't give others the benefit of Yeah, that. pretty much. Well, yeah. And when you tweet a lot. And then there's this prospect of Oprah. Yeah, Oprah. And some people mm. are really excited about it, where others are like, well, me, where it's like, really? Another reality-based individual from Hollywood? Well, the difference, I think, with Oprah that excites people is she's a media figure. She, may, she even said she doesn't know enough about the issues and everything to be president, but... Why don't we go but, for someone who does? Well, Would that be an approach? I'm well, not what, convinced. a politician? <laughs> I'm not know, convinced somebody. she's interested. I really don't think she is. Well, maybe she's doing it for the same reason apparently President Trump was doing it, to be the most powerful, popular man in the world. She's already she's one of not, the most powerful people in the she's world. She's not that vain, right? No. I mean, she only goes by think, one name, and she has her own network and magazine with her name on it. She's not that vain. No. Uh-uh. Um, that was funny. Good job. But she... But she's kind. She's a kinder, gentler person. Okay. And we were saying maybe the thing she could do is go find that candidate, mm. which I'm assuming would be Democratic. Right. And find that one candidate that she could get behind and then put all of her media power behind him. The media power her. of the O Network, which yeah. has failed and she sold it to Discovery. Yeah, but that don't okay. go about just the say, O I'm Network. Don't go. <laughs> but I'm talking just about she's a powerhouse. Okay. 
and then put all the power behind that person that knows what they're doing. Mm. Maybe that's Joe Biden. Could be. Maybe it's – Maybe drop a couple decades and find someone that we're not worried about their like actual health. It's more like, <laughs> hey, did you get your physical? Good job. Oh, it's a weird time for politics. But could you imagine a race between President Trump and Oprah Winfrey? Tell Sadly, me, yes. The ratings <laughs> would be crazy. Yeah. In fact, by the way, that's all we talk about is the ratings. Pretty much. Which is why I think it would be less yeah, than productive. Let's not do it. Let's not do it. <laughs> not wanting to go there. Okay. So uh, we blew that idea up. Um, okay. Let's get to the headlines and see if there's other news we should be paying attention to. What is up, Terry? North and South Korea have agreed to hold official military talks. Officials from two, the both countries announced Tuesday morning in a rare joint statement. Such talks would mark the first time the two Koreas have engaged in any such dialogue in more than two years. Earlier today, North Korea announced a formal, uh, during a formal discussion with its southern neighbor that it would send a delegation to the upcoming Winter Olympic Games in South Korea. The South agreed to temporarily suspend sanctions against North Korean officials visiting their country in order for the visit to happen. Apparently, they, North Korea has a pair of figure skaters. Yeah. Just high quality. They're incredible. So they want to. training in Canada. Yes. They're not going to club each other in the kneecap either? No, they're not. It's not Tanya Harding's. Yeah, they're not, they're not U.S. figure skaters. <laughs> the whole different caliber there. Um, other news, the United States is weighing the possibility of launching strikes on North Korea. The Wall Street Journal reports the strikes called a bloody nose option would reportedly be a limited strike on North Korean facility in retaliation for future North Korean weapons tests. U.S. officials are reportedly uncertain if they could conduct these strikes without setting off all-out war. Yeah. Uh, strikes on North Korea come with a risk of massive consequences. The isolated country has an arsenal pointed at nearby Seoul, South Korea, the capital of South Korea. Uh, North and South are also poised to enter diplomatic talks. So, they're, so North and South are talking, and we're planning on a bloody nose option. Yeah, but the cool news And we're about, not involved in these talks at all. No. But which is probably the South going, hold on, we can do this better. They had to add new phone lines, apparently. Because so Kim Jong-un could sit back and, and send messages directly to his people. So right. Kim Jong-un is actually listening in on the talks, mm. which is – it's as if he's there. Wow. Don't you find that exciting? Sure. This – by the way, <laughs> you know that if this goes well, President Trump will take credit for it. Of course it did. He, hmm. he took – he took credit for, uh, what, no uh, U.S. domestic airline deaths. Well, yeah. He, he says that's because of him, and it's, well, no, it's happened for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Well. It's, um, it's an interesting world. It is. And, you know, tomorrow's another day. Has Trump's elevated rhetoric on Twitter forced the North and South to actually talk to each other? Well, maybe. Or was it the Olympics? It was probably the Olympics. But, but for now. But what if it keeps going? No. I mean, really, they're even talking about having uh, – they're going to try to bring up later in the day today about reunions where oh, South Koreans right. can re- reunite with the North Korean families that they haven't seen for, like, what, 50-something years? Right. I mean, that's an interesting discussion. So if that actually comes up, we'll see if – you know, may, is Trump really having any leverage? Hmm. Not Trump's rhetoric, I guess. Yeah. His strong stance. Is it working to push them together? Or is this just another trick from Kim Jong-un to buy more time (gasps) to build his nuclear arsenal? Beyond, say, two missiles. Yeah. Apparently we have submarines that have more missiles on them than their entire stockpile in North Korea. But he's going for a baker's dozen. Yeah. 
Well, you know, everyone has a New Year's resolution, right? <laughs> a judge in Las Vegas has decided to dismiss criminal charges against a Nevada rancher and his sons accused of leading an armed uprising against the federal authorities in 2014. Chief U.S. Judge Gloria Navarro signaled when she declared a mistrial last month that she might dismiss the case outright against Cliven Bundy and Ryan and Ammon Bundy and Montana militia leader Ryan Payne. The judge severely criticized prosecutors for what she called willful violations of due process, rights of defendants, including failing to properly turn over evidence to their lawyers, but she gave the government a chance to submit written documents opposing dismissal of all charges. So, uh, Clive and Bundy, uh, dis, what, ranching fees to the federal yeah. government, I think, was I think the whole was, point yeah. of this. And then, so he kind of... Watering fee, like watering rights. Something like something. that. So yeah. he's out there, some militia guys show up with semi-automatic, automatic weapons, not sure from the television reports. And then the federal government shows up and they have their guns. And so you have armed militia members right. facing down federal agents... He gets arrested, and now they're just going to dismiss the charges because the government messed up the case. By the way, not even to mention his son's going up into Oregon and having another standoff. That was a separate case, yeah. Where a man died in a shootout, and that was all dismissed, right? Right. So... But this... Or might be pending on a couple of them. They're still... I mean, there's... But not on the... Yeah. Yeah. But but most of them aren't going to get... No. The Bundy boys weren't getting in trouble up there, I guess. I'm not sure how where that stands. There but, is the trenching issue, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Moving on. We watch the trenching live. <laughs> but one of the keys to this is, apparently, this is like overreach. This is yeah. what Clive and Bundy is talking about. The very fact that the courts threw it out is supporting his argument. The government well, is overreaching. Not on the actual case. It's because the government didn't follow through with the process as a court, so it threw the case out. Well, right, but in the West, you hear this story a lot that the government can throw out a lawsuit without any issue, right? and then everyone else has to make it work, but now they're showing that, hey, you're not playing fair. There you go. Scary. <laughs> Okay. And finally, two-thirds of people who use digital voice assistants, like the Amazon Echo yes. or the Google Home, use their smartphones less often, according to a new, sur- new survey published by Accenture, a tech consulting company. We do that. Mm. We, we, I'm not playing with my phone as much The result, I can play with my Alexa. The results suggest that the next wave of consumer technology will be centered around these digital assistants and may spell trouble for smartphone makers like Apple and Samsung, who lag behind Amazon and Google in this emerging space. It says 66% of the respondents to this poll say they agree, uh, agreed or strongly agree that they're using their phones less. Within the subgroup who said they're using their smartphone less, 64% said they use phones less frequently for entertainment, 58% said they do less online purchasing with their phones, and 56% do fewer searches from their phones because they can just talk to you the just, thing in their yeah. kitchen. I love it. You know, I actually use my phone less ever since my wife got me this Apple Watch. Mm. It's funny because I'll, I'll frequently use it to uh, dictate a text message on my watch. And then it took me a second, but I realized... So you're talking to your watch. Yes. Okay. Like so Dick Tracy. Then I realized, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure I could have been doing this all along on, on my phone. phone. Yeah. It's really complicated. But for some reason, it's easier on the watch than it is on the phone. Interesting. Because on the phone, it's, you, you have to hit certain keywords and do it exactly yeah. this way. Oh, it's such a pain. Plus, on the phone, they give you some, like, it'll give you keywords to say. So if somebody asks you a question, you can just say, sounds great, mm-hmm. click. And then you don't have to 
then when you're driving, you can still play on your phone and your watch while driving. Oh, nice. And it makes it a lot easier hmm. to play on both simultaneously while sure. operating heavy machinery. Easier to break the law. Mm-hmm. One interesting figure out of this it says that in the U.S., the uh, the survey est- or the people that did the survey estimate 21% of the online population of the country owns one of these devices. 21%. Wow. 37% will own one by the end of 2018. Yeah, so get used to it, folks. It really is amazing because you just have to say the name. Alexa, hmm. use your name. Right. Insert your name here. You can also change that. Oh, you Whatever can? you want, yeah. Jeebs? Sure. Can really? You? Yeah. I didn't know this. The funny I, thing is- I listen is, to a podcast. They reference it all the time, and they yell out, Book of Knowledge, and it goes, bleep. Your Excellency? Yeah. Um, but You I can think, also have it refer to you or whatever does you it, want. It must get to know your voice, because it, I think it knows my son's voice- Better than everyone else's There's voice. The, I think I was reading about the, the Google Home device. It can actually differentiate between you and somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. On some level. Yeah. And they're, they're you know building the technology as they're going. And so then it's you can better. build your profile. So you can say, uh, hey, Google. Sorry for everyone out there that we just set theirs off. Yeah. Um, what's, my favorite, what's my favorite lunch? Mm. And it'll recognize your voice, and it'll tell you your favorite lunch after you've gone through some questions with it. Mm. So, it, our, why would our, you need to ask it for what your favorite lunch is? To see don't it, you know? You to need see to, if it knows. You need to test your subject. Jeff. Then, mm. then, then you say no. Then you say, "Hey, Google, order my favorite lunch," and it's why they can eventually order it and have it delivered. Like President Trump sent sent Stephen Miller to CNN to yell at Jake Tapper so he could watch it on TV and then put it on Twitter later saying, look how good a job that Stephen Miller did. It's how you test your people, make sure there's loyal. It's like a robot. So you're testing your in-home device to make sure it's loyal by saying, do you know my favorite sandwich? Do you think President Trump says, hey, Stephen? And he's like, yes, sir. He just appears at the door. Yes, sir. What can I do for you, sir? Go fight with Jake Tapper on CNN. No problem, sir. Be right there. I'm a fan of this conversation because we are in the process of smartificationizing our home. Be careful. I don't think that's a word. You go too far with that. Smartificationizing? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you, you're going to go got, full bore We've now. got the, the Schnoogle home. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, a smart thermometer. And Thermostat. we also have the little smart outlets. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and we have a, a, a Sny blow blot. Oh, uh, I think that's a vacuum that ro- that vacuums their house. Yes, you can call it a Roomba. That's what they're called. Okay, that's what we. Call. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It doesn't trigger the device. You so. don't like Snide Blowblot? I didn't know what it was. I'm not sure. I'm like, what was that? That's a <laughs> weird. Whatever one. it is, it sounds painful. All this pig Latin. Um, one thing that isn't right now: the Consumer Electronics Expo. Right. Yeah. They call it CES now, but it's happening in Vegas, and there's all these devices that are showing up, and they have either Google or Amazon has their device integrated somehow you have fridges you got random thermometers you got crock pots all kinds of things but they're integrated to your voice assistant so you can set up some sort of skill as they call it with amazon or whatever google's calling it and you can just call out to your assistant to turn on the fridge or you know whatever you do with you know your oven whatever and you get notifications back and forth with all these devices in your house one of the fridges costs like five thousand dollars so yeah oh well, but think of it. Don't think of it that way. Just think of it that you will now be able. It will now be able to order food and continually keep itself full. Right. That will cost you tens of thousands of dollars. Sure. Samsung is trying to use their voice assistant called Bixby. 
Really? Mm. That everyone kind of laughs at. Because when you buy one of their phones- like Bill Bixby? When you buy one of their phones, Bixby's there, but so is the Google Assistant. Oh, on gonna, the same device. See, they're going to start fighting. And people just use the assistant instead of Bixby. Bixby, like, what's get this? that job. Yeah. I want to see if there's a correlation between the people that use this and uh, the level of laziness. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe the people that are using these aren't as healthy. Well, I'm just uh, talking about my own no, family. I, no, but I I'm use talking one. about my own family. So what yeah. you're saying is you buy one, you get heart disease. Maybe. Wow. I, I, but I use it more for vanity. Like I will say – You want praise from it? I will say, Alexa, mm. play the Matt Townsend Show podcast. Just out of the blue? Boink, and up comes the show. Or Alexa, play BYU Radio, dot, uh, BYU Radio and boink, the show turns on. These are phrases you've never said at home. Never. <laughs> never. Um, it's hard to listen to your own vanity. show. We lived it. Living it again? Eh? Yeah. No, I, I have a. We've been there. I, I can't do it. It's great stuff. I, the funny thing is, I can't stomach it. Yeah, <laughs> you went I that far. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I get a little sick in, in the belly. Oh, boy, it's not easy having your own show. Know what I mean, Jeff? I think it's very easy. Yeah, that's where we're different. Hey, straight ahead, we will be talking about making sense of your emotions. Do you know why you have emotion? What is it for? And uh, how do we innovate it? How do we learn to listen to it, to maintain it, to manage it, to keep it at a healthy place, uh, to use it to learn, to grow? Emotional intelligence straight ahead with our own Dr. Frank Ninavaji from Yale uh, University. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, brushing your teeth, washing your hands are the things everybody can do to build good physical hygiene. But what if you want to build good emotional hygiene? Well, here to talk about it, Yale's associate attending physician, Dr. Frank Ninavaji, one of our great contributors on the show, joins us again today to discuss his new book, Making Sense of Emotion and uh, Innovating Emotional Intelligence. And I'm telling you, I've been reading it. It is it is quite a read. And again, it... it it totally – it takes us to a different level of emotional intelligence. Dr. Frank Ninavaji, thank you so much for being with us again. Well, thank you very much for having me again, Matt Townsend. It's my pleasure. I love your book. And again, Frank, I'm telling you, you're deeper than any man I know. And yet <laughs> – but you also you're, – you're, you're very balanced too because you understand – uh, the power of spirituality, the power of ethics and morals and goodness, and simultaneously you can take us to a di- different level uh, of, of emotion. D- define for us, Frank, in the easiest terms. Remember, you're talking to me here. Keep it simple for me. What, what is emotion? What, what are emotions, and, and what, what do we need them for? Okay. Um, emotions. Now, this is my take on the whole thing based on all my work at Yale, all my studying from in my own life experience, and I'm, you know, I'm up there. I'm 70 years old, so this is a lot of experience and 45 years of work as a doctor, child, adolescent, adult psychiatrist with children 
especially um, emotions. To me, emotions are as great or if not greater than thinking and thought. I don't really separate them because I don't think they can be separated. They're in us, and we are really intrinsically one. Hmm. We are one unity, although we think we're split into a thinking part, a feeling part, uh, a sensual part. In reality, my take on that is it's all one, but because our minds, are, our human minds on Earth, are limited and incomplete, we incompletely grasp what we experience. So emotions, for me, and I've kind of redefined what emotional intelligence is, and the definition of emotions is included in this, and it's a little bit sketchy and simplistic, but it's, it's really deep. Emotions are the synthesis of sensation, perception, conception, and emotional performance utilization, which means acting on the emotion which is mixed with thought. That's what emotions are. It is the mix of synthesis of sensation, perception, conception, conception. and the final target is action in the real world. That's the point that a lot of theorists have not emphasized. I don't want to say missed, but not emphasized. But I emphasize it because I'm a clinical person. And clinically, that's the relevance and significance of emotion. That's why it's important, because it's reflected in what people do, not merely in what they say or think they say or think about things or just write It's in what you do. By your fruits, ye shall know them. Your actions. It's the it's the walk, not merely the talk. Huh? In fact, you. In fact, when you look at it and just look at the words, it's so emotions are the synthesis, the combination of how you sense the world, see the world, conceive the world, and act in the world. All true. I love to emphasize, when you say the world, you are, for your purposes, each of us, is the centration of the world. I am the central point in my world. And that's how you interpret and experience existence, the world. But you're part of the world. Yeah, you, but you're yeah. seeing it from the inside. Yeah. And also from the outside. And so sensation is actually your physicality, how things vibrate and tremble and reverberate in you. And that actually comes first. And I appreciated that when I studied infants. I did a, some training in London, in uh, Oxford, many, many years ago. And I did some training in infant psychiatry when that was supposed to sort of be um, where everything was. And I saw the infant, the preverbal infant, not only in the first year of life, but even in the first month, two, three, four, six months, how there were no words. Later on, there's coos and babbles, but before six months, there's just a physicality of sensation, 
but it's loaded with emotion, which is communicated to a loving caregiver or a mother or a father. Hmm. And that transactional sensitivity is the core of the love and the, the food, the milk of human kindness, how we grow emotionally from infancy into adulthood. So as a parent, when you're dealing with an infant, you really, you're, you're really dealing with emotion management and emotion connectivity, uh, re- reading their emotions, responding to their emotions, soothing their emotions. It's, a, it's, a, it's more of an energy connection. It's an energy, and another word, and another good word is empathy, huh. empathy, which is not just um, feeling what another person is feeling, but grasping fully, grasping fully, cognitively and emotionally, and also intuitively, what the other may be going through at that moment, and then a kind of complete empathy is the ability of the empathizer to communicate that to the other person. Let them know, yes, hmm. we're here together, and I get it. I get you. And, and simply, because that's interesting, if I notice you're, you're irritated, but I never complete the circle and somehow help you not be irritated, then I'm not showing empathy. You're not showing complete empathy for right. Yeah. And that is the, you know, this empathy, and I call it empathetic identification, is uh, a key to good parenting. I, in many of my uh, books, I, you know, I, I love to coin terms and phrases yeah. that reflect what I'm thinking in a kind of imagey, visual way. So I wrote articles in, in, in this book, too. A parent, you are, you the parent, you are your child's first verb. You are your child's first verb. In other words, you, you are all action with the child engaged with you, and you're understanding and recommunicating to the child all that action, but in a more refined, less distressful, in a more focused, growth-promoting manner. Huh. That's great. That's a neat way to – I think it's a powerful way to look at all human emotion is that you're, you're – for a child, you're their first action. You're their first ability to act out their emotion and feeling is through you, I guess, and understanding it. But then as adults, we also have a responsibility to pay attention to the emotion of others. And I guess we cannot not do that, right? I mean, I mean maybe not pay attention, but we, we are always receptive, aren't we, to everyone else's – emotion, even if we're not cognitively aware of it? Aren't it's we picking it up? There. Yeah, It's always there. It's a matter of us becoming consciously aware of what is present. And this manifests itself usually, it used to at least, when people used to get married and stay married. I, I was very involved at one time in uh, marital family uh, therapies, and I could see between loving adults how the love and the bonding and the unit at first uh, was so strong and good, but then over months and years, because of non-awareness, not becoming aware, not paying attention to 
the husband's feelings, the wife's feelings, and the feelings in the couple, and the feelings in the family, children play a major part in all that, how tensions build up, and it, it becomes unresolved, unresolved baggages, which, if not brought into clear awareness, consciously, with conscious thought, can become a very big problem, hmm. and it result in negative emotions, which are destructive they they make people want to stay detach from each other rather than attach in loving ways yeah wow um, talk again, uh, just for, so everybody knows what's going on here. We're speaking with Dr. Frank Ninavaji, who is uh, a great friend of the show. We love having him on. Uh, Frank is a doctor and associate attending physician at Yale New Haven Hospital. He's an, also an assistant clinical professor of child psychiatry at the Yale University School of Medicine's Child Study Center and the psychiatric director at the Devereaux Glenholm School in Washington, Connecticut. As well as having a private practice, he's and he's an author. He's prolific. Also has uh, um, a lot of uh, articles and uh, a blog on psychology today. Um, Frank, as we're talking about emotion, what what are some of the the most basic emotions that we should be paying attention to? Well, the history of a, of the study of emotions that began with Darwin, roughly eighteen seventy two. The expression of emotions uh, in man and animals up to the present time. People think and believe that possibly there are certain core emotions, basic emotions or what were called primary emotions. And they number, the number ranges from four to eight. And some of them are happiness, sadness, fear, anger, surprise contempt, disgust, and then hope, which is also anticipation. Hmm. So those seven, eight basic emotions are believed to be primary core emotions around which when they blend, as, and they can't help but blending, um, all the other feelings and attitudes that we experience emerge from that basic core. That's powerful. Is it? This is what I'm sensing um, about your book. And um, again, the name of the book is Sense of Emotion, Innovating Emotional Intelligence is our job in life is to do whatever we can to become more and more aware of those seven basic emotions in ourself, but also to then also start to, I guess, use that insight to understand others better and then fine tune this ability to connect in emotionally. That's exactly right, to connect in emotionally. My idea of emotional intelligence has to do with what I call emotional hygiene, and you mentioned that earlier. And I define emotional hygiene as being a sort of life, life cycle process. Early on, it's learning emotional awareness, becoming as aware of emotion as possible, and that would involve all the steps I mentioned earlier in terms of the emotional processing, the uh, sensation, the perception, the conception, labeling, and then looking at your actions and paying attention to your actions. That's emotional awareness. And that develops early on from birth throughout life, but 
superimposed on that, as we get older and become more responsible and self-aware, then emotional, emotional intelligence needs to become emotional literacy. That's the second part, emotional literacy of emotional hygiene. We have to refine our sense of emotional intelligence and as keenly as possible do everything you said earlier. Know ourselves, our emotions, try to see those in others, be able to humanely and decently communicate them in an honorable way with integrity. And that is part of the job of uh, parents, of adults. It's, it's a non, unending, odd, almost ad infinitum uh, situation. Do, Sometimes do, we lose sight of it. Do you sense – I see it more with clients um, today that, that they're struggling actually emotionally connecting to other people. I mean they can cohabitate. They can – even have children, they can share a lot of life uh, um, challenges, but actually to be vulnerable and intimate, they really are struggling with. Is that is that valid? Do you see that in the data? I see it 24-7. I see it every moment, no matter where I look. And it's the way things are, and I. it's always hard to know why things have become this way. But I think that um, technology is a big culprit. Technology is, has made people start to develop and think that they can have a relationship with an inanimate object. Mm. In the beginning, we used to, we used to have, um, re- well, I was going to say, do you remember when? <laughs> when there was just radio, and we sat in front of the box, and listened, and we were trying to understand what the other was saying, but it was us with the box. Then it developed into visual imagery on the television, and it still was a person to inanimate object relationship. And then when technology um, incarnated, then we have all kinds of computers and devices. They call them devices. I call them machines. All kinds of devices that we use. And, and, and many people, it's, uh, it always uh, amuses me when they say, I'm going on social media. They're going on a machine. <laughs> and they're yeah. calling it social media. Yeah. It's not an interpersonal relationship. It's a you with, uh, with an inanimate object that has technology in it relationship. And people are getting so used to that and have become so used to it that it deadens, it dulls, it desensitizes you as a person and your emotions and your emotional sensitivity. Even wanting to be with another human being in the intimate way that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. That's what we're here for, to be intimate spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, as good human beings to other good human beings, and to propagate that as much as we can.
Mm. What uh, we've got about two or three minutes. Talk to us about what I can be doing, Frank. And this is just the beginning. We're, uh, obviously, we'll have you back and continue talking about emotional intelligence. But what can I do as a parent to start getting my child to tune in to their emotions, to understand those emotions, to be aware of them, um, and to be able to start becoming literate in those emotions? Well, always remember that you um, – all work begins with you alone to begin with. So you have to be diligent with your own self, and you have to – a person has to become as emotionally aware as possible and emotionally literate as possible as a responsible individual. Number two, remember you are the living example not just example, but you are the living example to your children and helping them to see emotions, to try to understand emotions, helping them to label emotions is, is a very big thing, labeling. What is happiness? What is sadness? What is fear? When you see the child expressing these emotions, these primary emotions or um, core core feelings you recognize them and then start labeling to the child oh you seem very happy today you seem surprised look at how surprised you are oh you have a disgusted look on your face i wonder why let's look at that or you are so hopeful you seem like you're anticipating something you're hopeful that something is going to occur and this way you give them the lexicon, the dictionary, you give them the vocabulary to link words, thoughtful words, with what their and sensations are, and then you go from there and build on that. It's powerful. I really... I love having you on, Frank, for that very reason, to just gather just a few skills at a time, but to take our emotional uh, relationships deeper and our, our emotional sense of what we can do. Uh, one way to start, see the emotion, label those emotions, hold those labels up so your children can see and actually have them start to resonate with them real time, in the moment. Um, it's a powerful tool to be the guide on the side of your children. We will continue this discussion up next, a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be your best emotional self. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back. You know, um, think about it. Emotions are this undercurrent. It's that silent, quiet conversation that goes on inside of your body. But they're, they're also, when you think about it, they're constantly operating on you. Have you ever walked into a room and you just sensed something wasn't right? You felt something weird in the force. That is an emotion. You're feeling that or you uh, you get some, you, you know, your boss comes up to you and says, hey, I, I want to talk to you for a minute. And you have your stomach drop and uh, and you start to feel that emotion. See, the emotions are constantly inside of us and are guiding us and are driving us. And I believe many times that emotion, that immediate kind of gut reaction that we have is actually we don't even have necessarily a thought hanging on it. We just have the emotion. It's a raw feeling. And then that emotion we try to make sense of by making a story up for it. 
many times the stories we make up actually may not be accurate. Does that make sense? So why are you nervous that the boss, well, I don't, I don't want to be fired or I heard that last time he did this or said this and so-and-so was then. So we then go to some story to make sense of it. One of the keys I would suggest that we also do as part of our emotional literacy is pay attention to the story that you're telling. The story that you're telling about the emotion you're feeling may not always be accurate, may not always be the, the real story. But the problem with telling stories is that we go back to them as if they're real and as if that's the problem. So when we get in an argument or a discussion or a fight with our spouse and the fight is about what you did, that made me so mad. Um, if, if that's not accurate, if it's really not about, you know, the fact that you said that one thing in public about me when we were at that dinner with your family um, – that's probably not the real issue. There's another story, and it may simply be the emotion that maybe you feel um, embarrassed. Maybe the emotion that's deeper that might be driving this is an insecurity you have about yourself. So the power of emotion is to start to be aware of your own feelings, especially while you're feeling it. You, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a, one of my clients and they told me about, you know, a blow up they had with their spouse. And I said – and I asked them, before you actually pulled into the house and, and you know, were, were you feeling anything? What were your emotions when you were coming home? Very rarely does somebody say, I was happy as ever. I had never been better. And then all of a sudden I walked in and everything turned around. Usually they were already kind of in a funk. They were already frustrated or exhausted or tired or depressed or hopeless about life and their job or whatever. And then all it takes is just a simple little catalyst, right? Like your child leaving their bicycle in the driveway. And now you got to get out of your car and move the bike. And then it starts to create. And then as you move the bike, you pinch your finger and that makes you react and game on. So pay attention to it because very easily your emotions could not only be uh, the way you, the way you uh, you know act out to a future uh, a better future for yourself by changing or altering your emotion, but even looking back on the emotional spectrum or scale, what were you feeling ten minutes before this fight? What were you feeling five minutes before the fight? How about one minute before the fight or the argument or the breakdown or whatever's going on in your life? Because those emotions tell stories, right, about what your body is, how it's responding in certain situations. It might also tell you that you need to eat more or sleep more or other information or data that may be useful to you. Anyway, a little advice and insight on our emotions. They aren't our enemy, folks, and they're not something we just want to hide away. But we will continue the journey discussing emotions and better lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We uh, we truly want to help you be a strong, emotionally literate person. It's now time for the Empty News Headlines with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Jeffrey? You are prone to get mad often. Yes! Am I? <laughs> I I don't think you are, but... No. Uh, but if I could, you do don't. get mad, what what is something you would be prone to do if you did get upset or frustrated? Mad? Yeah. I, it depends where I am, of course. Okay, let me give you a scenario. Yeah. You tell me if this would make you mad or not. Okay. Let's say you're at the ATM, putting in your card, hoping to get some money back. Right. And you get too much money 
you get more money than you requested. Oh, Would that, that makes, make you mad? Yes. Would it really? makes me more mad now, than getting more money than I should. Come on. Everybody loves that feeling of coins clanking well, down a yeah, tray or not in money Vegas. shooting out of a slot. Is the money my money and I'm getting too much of my money out or let's, am I getting someone else's let's money? Let's not get too bogged down with Into those types details. of questions. Yeah. I, well, my head would think, well, whose money is this? And I better, oh boy, now I got to do all deal with this. So apparently there's this guy who um, he used an ATM and he got frustrated because the ATM spat out more money than he requested, apparently. Really? So he just started going at the ATM, just going at it, pummeling it, <laughs> and uh, apparently caused about $5,000 in damages. Wow. Now, he did the right thing. He he called the bank afterwards and admitted what he did. I'm sure they saw the whole thing on camera anyway. Oh, sure. Yeah, so, absolutely. And uh, he was arrested. And uh, yeah. I, he threw I, a fit. He threw a fit. And apparently the ATM had something to say about it, too. That really hurt. I'm going to have a lump there, you idiot. That's you the ATM? like a woman. That's the ATM? Yeah. The so, ATM's British. Yeah, I don't apparently. like some of these uh, assistants. The, their voices are weird. Here's another interesting story for you. Mm-hmm. So there's some house movers in North Carolina that thought they were getting a jump on the day. Instead, their day got longer when the house they were moving fell off a trailer and onto a road. Uh-oh. The North Carolina Highway Patrol told local media outlets that the house was being moved on a rural road just north of Statesville around 4 a.m. Wednesday when the re- uh, rear wheels on the trailer slipped into a hole. And uh, the trailer came out of the hole. The house bounced off the trailer and landed on the road. This <laughs> this kind of makes me think of the uh, the trailer for that movie, the house that cars can't seem to stop crashing into. Yeah, no, that's a very you know because with a house a on the road, movie. it's a very common problem. In the small town of Hillcrest Heights, there is a hill, and just over the hill is a house, and when it's dark out. Something strange happens. No, 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 it's happening again! Some say there's a madman slashing people's tires. Some believe there are supernatural forces at work. Others think it's just bad driving. But whatever the cause, one thing's for sure. Cars can't seem to stop crashing into this house. Horror. Horror. The house that cars couldn't seem to stop crashing into. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program, hour number three of the program. And if you missed, by chance, the first two hours, mm. you want to go back. You missed some good radio. Yeah, great radio. Mm. We talked about social media. We talked about emotional intelligence and really why we have emotions. Installing thermostats and why it's the same as winning the uh, football game. championship football games. Yeah, that Which one, but... I wasn't going to put that out as a highlight. Of it did happen. It was one of the first yeah. things we talked about. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, today we've got more to talk about. And by the way, if you can go to iTunes to tune in to BYUradio.org. Podbean. Podbean. 
It's, Whoa. It's everywhere, folks. I've eaten some pod beans before. Have you? Mm-hmm. I love me a good, good. pod bean. Mm. Um, today we're going to be talking with Dr. Paul Jenkins about marriage. He's going to give us some insights. Uh, you know, he is the shrink that helps you expand your life. He mm. talks about the idea you take two people, you put them together, and you say, here, just deal with life. He goes, yeah. there's, a, there's a high chance there may be a couple problems along the way. Right. Yeah. You put those beans in a pod, things are going to turn out all right. Are they? Mm-hmm. If you work at it, right? You got to work at it. That's part of the battle. So we'll cover all of that. Plus the the great news, North and South are mm. uh, meeting and talking in Korea. Korea. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. But North. also in the SEC. No. Georgia. No, that was more East and West. Was it? Yeah. yeah. That's how they, Is that how they the do it in the SEC. I'm not sure if Georgia or Alabama are in the same division inside the SEC or not. But yeah, we get your yeah. point. Yeah. You, you understand the point. Uh, but they are talking in Korea, which is a really, I think it's great stuff. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Mm. Um, but he's not so happy they're talking right now because a lot of stuff are, people are giving up. The, the South has to give up a lot do you think to he's, keep the North talking. Do you think he's pleased they're talking or that he's not involved somehow? Yeah, I, I think overall. Because they're doing this without him. Yeah. Well, and they're doing it really without the United States at all, right? I think because it seems like someone just keeps trying to fan the flames instead of trying to actually yeah, fix Kim the problem. Yeah, Kim Jong-un, he's so. doing that. No, the other way. Um, and then you have Rex Tillerson, and you're not sure what's going on. Like yesterday, they announced that the FBI hasn't found any connection in Cuba to those sonic attacks against diplomats. Remember that story? Right, yeah, totally. Now, the FBI is saying we, we haven't found any proof of that. And then Rex Tillerson comes out and he's saying that Cuba knows what's going on. And we're not if we send anyone to Cuba, it's going to be a dangerous situation. So the FBI says one thing. Secretary of State says yet another thing, right? Yes. So you have some mm-hmm, conflict there. Mm-hmm. The president's constantly contradicting whatever Rex Tillerson just said. Right. Right. So even Tillerson at one point was saying that we need to we have back channel negotiations with North Korea. We're trying to help out here. And then the president said, don't waste your time. Yeah. You're like, what? (laughs) Hold it. We're trying to we're trying to avoid conflict, not cause conflict. That's true. Um, So maybe North Korea and South Korea are like, let's just take care of this ourselves. Yeah. Well, and and it it is it is a peninsula issue. Mm. And the Olympics are on the peninsula now. So it's a great beginning. We'll just see where it goes. There ha- they, that was the talks was about the Olympics bringing a North Korean delegation to the games. And now later on, they're going to talk about military issues and maybe some diplomatic issues and kind of do it slowly as they move forward into the more contentious issues. Right. Maybe Mitt Romney could help. Well, yeah. If he's not running for president. He's recent, not running for president. A, a report. Uh, he just made an announcement <laughs> that he went through a prostate surgery um, for cancer, and uh, everything seems looks to be really good. He's good. Everything's so he's great. healthy, happy, and uh, has not announced if he will run, but he very well could run. For Senate. For Senate. For Senate. Yeah. He's going to focus only on Utah issues. He's not going to go after the president. That's what he says. Yet. That's what people close to him are saying to other people in adjacent rooms to – you know how that works. Yeah. Hmm. He's yeah. going to focus – laser focus – I think we would be lucky to have a wonderful man like Mitt run. Mm. He's a he's a wonderful human being. So um, I hear he ran into me. He did apologize. 
See? But it was kind of a stiff arm pushback. Yeah. Like, I need but to be the MC of this medal ceremony. He was trying, Get out of my he way. He was trying to MC a ceremony, and you were like, the Olympics. you were being the audio man, at, yeah. or boy back in the day. Man. Audio boy. They called me an A1. <laughs> audio yeah. one assistant. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a big fan of A1 sauce, by the way. I'm just going to put that out there. I think we're talking about a different. I know. I was checking A1. crowd mics, and mm-hmm. I was making my way back to the 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 soundboard, the sound headquarters for the worldwide presentation of the medal ceremony. It was an important job, and instead, yeah. I get a stiff arm from the guy. Well, who but organized you were it. you were stopping, you were impeding the the man in charge of the Olympics it's during okay. the Olympics. He, he could have. He could have – well, no, he did it with a smile. I mean, I went, oh, yeah, I know you. Please go up there. I don't believe the reports of you swearing in a bus in Park City. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did Steve Young apologize to you? The next day, not not as graciously. Okay, mm. But can I just point out, there is a theme here. What? Me <laughs> Whether in the it's way? Steve Young <laughs> trying to make announcements at no. the same Olympic venue, mm. whether it's Mitt Romney, both times you were in the way. It was in my bulkier days. Yeah. Maybe I was taking up more real estate in the, the, the narrow – yeah. walkways that they had there. I think that's a very healthy admission. Because later on, um, who was it? It was in sync that came in to sing, and their bodyguards were really concerned about me back there checking microphones. Like, what's with that guy back there? What's I'm he like, packing? I'm not wearing this uniform for fun. I hated those Olympic uniforms. I thought you looked good in it, though. No. I just pictures of you. <laughs> just ridiculous. But, yeah, I, I really was not a fan, and uh, they still questioned me because apparently NSYNC does not have anyone Attend their sound checks. Did InSync get in? Did you get in a fight with InSync as well? It no, like? but during one of their performances, they have you know those boom cameras they have. Yeah, it's yeah. a camera. It's on a huge uh-huh. arm, uh-huh. and they sweep over the crowd mm, with yeah. it. Well, my job was to stand behind the camera operator and make sure that I didn't hit anybody in the head. Mm. And Justin Timberlake, yeah, mid solo, I might add. You have the camera swinging over the stage to get a nice sort of MTV sort uh-huh, of feel sure. to the broadcast. And I had to push down on the camera because that camera was going to hit his curly locks oh. and clock him upside the head. And I couldn't allow that. So you probably saved him. The the millions of young girls behind me, well, hundreds, <gasps> were that were asking me if I could somehow sit down so they could see Justin Timberlake, yeah. they would have been very disappointed if he had to be hauled off so, on a stretcher with a head wound. So Trump, I mean, not Trump, yeah. um, so... Romney. Mitt Romney, uh-huh. Steve Young, yep, and go. the entire audience trying to watch Justin Timberlake. I was in the way. This girl like yeah. taps me and goes, are you going to stand there the there, entire time? There is a theme there, right? The theme is Terry is in the way. That's what the song was about. Bye, bye, bye. Hey, buddy, you audio tech. Move your move your keister and let me let the fans look at me. This was Justin Timberlake back with the boys. What they call him? You know, the Backstreet Boys. Back. Oh, no, no. The <laughs> NSYNC. Yeah. But, but this was, I mean, we're used to Justin Justin now, you know, as, a, as an independent artist. Yeah. Do you think then. they're okay with that? I don't know. Well, with probably. all of the amazing no, megastar success that he's experienced? I think they would have loved you know, Sorry. singing with him still. I didn't mean for us to go down a tangent on yeah, that's all right. his career. Well, let's just get to the rest of the headlines oh, okay. and, and see if there's any other themes of you being in the way. So uh, we had the North and South Korea news. Yep. Mitt Romney was tested for prostate cancer, got a clean bill of health. Good. Apparently seems to be okay. Uh, President Trump attended a football game. 
There was some smattering of booze. Yeah, some but that happens with every person. There's a video of one of the Alabama running backs saying some obscene things as he walked back to the locker room because the players were not on the field. Really? As is how they do it. Um, so yeah, things happened. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, just reading how Trump was still fuming in the White House about the all the conversation about his mental state. Uh huh. Things happen. President Trump's upcoming physical exam will not include a psychiatric evaluation. A White House spokesperson told the Huffington Post on Monday. Why mm. should it? Trump is scheduled for a Friday physical at the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Maryland. Trump is, Trump's mental health has become the subject of increasing speculation, with a Yale psychologist meeting with over a dozen members of Congress and one Republican to discuss. I love that that fact. Yeah. That it was all these Democrats and one Republican. And then that, one Republican. That Jimmy. begs the question: Who was it? That's a good point. Who's the traitor? Who's that one Republican? <laughs> Who needs to be rooted out? Yeah. Um, the psychologist, Dr. Brandy Lee, warned the lawmakers that Trump is going to unravel, and we we're going to see the signs. Political reported, the group of lawmakers were all Democrats and the one Republican who have not been named, and I'm not sure what that is intended to do. Right, right. But there is some speculation has to do with the 25th Amendment. <clears throat> well. Look it up. I'm just this, these are these no, are things the, that the are happening. The amendment uh, is about the mental health yes. and the replacement of a president now, by it, the cabinet. It was put if, in because there was a there was a president who was in a coma, and that's yeah. kind of a big situation. How do we undo this? Not someone who you think might be nuts because he has a different opinion than you do. Right there, you go. And has a Twitter. And feed. don't use the word nuts when we're talking about mental health issues. <sighs> that's what. I, that, that wasn't Ooh, my quote. That wasn't I my quote. Mad. I know. I'm telling that person. Other people have said we, that. We don't say nuts. Now when we're referring to that. Now, some serious news. <laughs> that or that. That doesn't help either. <laughs> Nearly 200,000 people from El Salvador who have been allowed to live in the United States for more than a decade must leave the country, government officials announced Monday. It is the Trump administration's latest reversal of years of immigration policies and one of the most consequential to date. Homeland Security officials said that they were ending the humanitarian program known as Temporary Protected Status for Salvadorians who had been allowed to live and work illegally in the U.S. since a pair of devastating earthquakes struck their country in 2001. Yeah. Salvadorians were by far the largest group of foreigners benefiting from the Temporary Protected Status, which shielded them from deportation if they had arrived in the U.S. illegally. The decision came just weeks after more than 45,000 Haitians lost protections granted after the 2010 earthquake, and it suggests that others in the program, namely Hondurans, may soon lose them as well. Nicaraguans lost their protections last year. Well, okay. So 200,000, I mean, again, it seems like, you know, we we have a responsibility to be yes. charitable and caring for those that... Are losing everything, but the program's called temporary. Well, right. So then, and these people have been here since 2010. Well, I know, but then what's their answer? I mean, what, yeah, what, is there the solution? Is it's temporary? Oh. Maybe the temporary portion of time is over, and then we just send them back to a place where they don't and no longer have any connection or life. Or did we give them a free ticket to stay here forever? Well, no, but it would seem like we'd have a process. That we then, do. That we, then we either some become legal, we either become... Some paperwork was filed, now they're told to go home. There's the process. Oh, that's so <laughs> wrong. Yeah, I'm not sure how that turns to be positive, but that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, a highly classified U.S. space satellite appears lost or destroyed after it launched on a SpaceX rocket Monday. This out of CNBC, the government satellite codenamed Zuma... Is reportedly believed to have burned up in the atmosphere when it failed to separate from the rocket. Industry experts said Zuma might have been worth billions of dollars. 
neither the U.S. government or SpaceX have uh, commented. Uh, mm. Zuma, not to be confused with Montezuma. Right. Or Zumba, the athletic. Or Zumba or Montezuma's Revenge. Great ride. Great ride. Boy, um, that's a lot of money. Allegedly. Yeah. Because we don't really know. We wouldn't know. Yeah. And finally, uh, mark your calendars. Okay, hold January on. January 16th. Are you clear that day, Matt? Do you have anything going oh, on January 16th? You know what? I'm looking a little busy that day. Okay. Well, it's the day you can learn how to survive a nuclear blast. Why? The public briefing will be held by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, they're uh, saying it's unlikely we'll have a nuclear detonation. Uh, it, would have been, it would be devastating if it did happen. So they're yeah. going to run through what we should do in the case that someone launches a missile at our country. Whoa. Whoa. It says, despite the fear surrounding such an event, planning and preparation can lessen deaths and illness. Yeah. For instance, it's, most people don't realize that sheltering in place for at least 24 hours is crucial to saving lives and reducing exposure to radiation. While federal, state, and local agencies will lead their immediate response efforts, public health will play a key role in responding. I knew that I, it's safe to get under my desk. Yeah, duck and cover. Well, well or is really, that what but... they want you to say or to think? Well, it's in the press release for this event on the twenty on the, the 16th of this month when they'll explain how you need to survive yeah. in case we're attacked by another country. They're isn't, not saying which country. Isn't it actually right. stop, drop, and roll? Uh, that, no, that was, on fire. I think that was like 50s. Well, you will probably be on fire. But I, I don't think with a nuclear holocaust, stop, drop, and roll will – you know, stop the dispersion of your matter. Mm, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it says, anyone interested in learning about a nuclear bomb safety can read the preparedness guide on the CDC's website. The guide offers three suggestions on how to protect yourself. Go inside, stay inside, <laughs> and stay tuned for details on your local news station, <laughs> which may or may not exist depending on which state you live in and point. which one was attacked. Right. Yeah. So here. Just... I mean, by the way, this I think this is great. Be prepared, learn what you're supposed to do, and then get really close to a higher power. Speaking of nuts, Matt is swatting at something that is not there. Yeah, I think there's some – we've got some bug in here. I don't see anything. And this newspaper, headquartered yeah. in a capital city in this country, right, gives the, uh, the, the approximate fatalities of the city they would live in – that they're in if the you know, attack was on their headquarters. Okay. It's okay, right? So, yeah. the, but I don't know what the what the purpose of that is. The CDC is saying, "Hey, here's some preparation thing," and then the newspaper goes, "Well, in our city, if it hit us, we'd have," and it says, eighty thousand fatalities from the initial blast yeah. and one hundred forty three thousand injuries," according to the report. No, in fact, I looked at our report in Utah and was so grateful I don't live so close to the city, <laughs> Salt Lake City. Live away from like hard targets. Yeah, You're probably okay. So I would probably have a little radiation poisoning. Eh. Hey, by the way, this is good information. I'm not mocking it. I think it just kind of feels like fear mongering at some level. It's kind of scary. Yeah. And two, I mean, I I don't know that I would. I don't know. It used to be that we would have this ultimate devastation, right? And the yes. entire country would just disappear. Is what we used to think would happen. Mm-hmm. But really, apparently, it's these bombs could hit, and they're going to hit targeted areas, and would have a fairly big swath of impact. And, you know, the odds of you living in that place may not be high or may be high, depending on what the threat is. Hmm. But you, there's a good chance. I mean, it could just be a terrorist carrying a dirty bomb. 
Could be. Right? It could be yeah. anything. So that's just weird to even talk about, isn't it? So remember, there are three-step plan from the CDC. Go inside, stay inside, stay tuned. Hmm. Is there anything there about Diet Coke? Nope. Uh, the president is getting some blowback uh, lately because apparently he drinks 12 Diet Cokes a day. What? Is this during executive time or during like meetings? I, th- I think it's throughout the entire day. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So um, 12, what is that? 144 ounces of goodness. They might want to check him for C-A-N-C-E-R. Oh, don't say that word. No. I didn't. But, I spelled it. <laughs> don't spell that word. No, but so – I, and I'm not bringing it up. To, I mean, but the, like we were talking to my class in Sunday school about mm. their resolution, and a lot of them want to get 90 ounces of water. This is 144 ounces ounces of 90, diet coke. 90 ounces? Which, Why 90? Well, I don't know. It's just well, most of that is water for some reason, right? I don't know. Is it? But yeah, that's. I and mean, I drink diet Coca Cola beverage, and that's a lot. I mean, it's water with syrup in it and some. Artificial That's sweeteners, like but four big gulps. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But actually, it's more than that. Is it? Oh yeah. Um, it's. I, I just look at. It. Yeah, it is. It's. Uh, it's just. It's going to bring up a lot of conversations. I think we've already talked about his twenty five hundred calorie meal with yes. two cheeseburgers and two fillet of fish. Right. But you add an to apple that, pie. Oh, and an apple pie. Yeah. And then you add to that the diet coke. His health aside, whatever his choices are. That's – I'm just going to throw out there. That's just too much. That's just too much caffeine, too much soda, too much – Sodium. Yeah. Sodium. Because you know he's not doing diet. He's – No, I think it is Diet Coke. He's doing Diet Coke? Yeah. Wow. Well, at least he's thinking about his yeah. health. He's yeah. doing Diet Coke. And Diet Coke <laughs> is doing the, him. At that level, it is kind of a drug more than a Yeah. By the so. way, but when I have consumed – because it, it, it's a diuretic. Caffeine yeah. is. So mm-hmm. – it probably dehydrates him, and when I'm dehydrated, I don't think as clearly. That's right. When Dehydration. I, we know about this. Yeah. The United States. Right there. <laughs> he needs a drink. So it very well may be just that he, if he would lay off a few Diet Cokes, oh, wow. then he would get more hydration What in would him. be a, a logical resolution? Like one or two? Cut back yeah, one no, or I two? Mean, I, could, I could see him having four a day. I could Whatever. I don't even care That's the number. That's pretty drastic. Well, I don't care the number if he could also consume a lot of water. Hmm. He needs mm. more water or – But in his mind, he is because there's water. It's one of the key ingredients in a Coca-Cola. Yeah. Maybe all that caffeine is causing him to act like this. Bing, bing, bing. Huh? huh? Yeah. He's in an excited state, yes. What I'm trying to do is find a, a better answer. All, everyone else is going to his mental health. I, don't, I think it's more maybe it's just about it's just his hydration. Di- it's diet and hydration. Interesting. Apparently, when you are dehydrated, you your your brain doesn't fire right. It doesn't work right. Mm. You start Wrong. to have you start to have delusions and other issues. Wrong. He went to the best colleges for college. He said it just the other day. Yeah, but I'm just saying it's just Diet Coke. <laughs> and again, this is coming from somebody that loves Diet Coke, but the moderation mm. in all things. You're wrong. Anyway, that's just one solution for him. Hey, straight ahead, how to make a marriage work. We will be speaking with our good friend, Dr. Paul Jenkins, to give you some tools, some ideas to uh, lift and elevate your marriage, folks. It's one of the most important things you do on this great big ball of mud is find somebody to, to, you know, tie your love to and, you know, grow together. We'll teach you how straight ahead.
Jenkins with uh, one of our great contributors, Dr. Paul Jenkins. And uh, Dr. Paul is the shrink who expands your life. He is a good friend of the show. You can uh, find out more by going to his website, drpauljenkins.com. He received his Ph.D. in clinical psychology right here from Brigham Young University and has been working nonstop uh, counseling and also coaching people. He's a speaker, and he has a wonderful um, program, is a, a radio podcast, but also a program called Live On Purpose TV that you can find if you go to um, YouTube. That's right. You're putting out a video a day. Yeah. Well, meaning five a week. Yeah. So I liked it when I watched it. Like you were wearing that muscle tee shirt, and right. you And you had the leather. That was cool. All the all the rippling and your hair slicked and, back. Yeah. <laughs> Working. Yeah, that it. may have been the other channel, Matt. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah I there met, is met. a there is a Paul Jenkins out there on YouTube who is a bodybuilder. Is there really? And I'm often mistaken oh, I was for him. By that. No, really. Yeah. <laughs> My, there's yeah. another Matt Townsend. I think he's like a skateboarder. Uh-huh. And everyone's like, hey, you sure can board, dude. Yeah. I'm like, thank you. Right? And I can pump some iron. <laughs> and you are ripped. <laughs> so, Paul, uh, you want to talk to us today about marriage. It really is one of the most – I mean, it is the most important relationship I think we have because yeah. it's, it's a relationship kind of, of – it's supposed to be of equals – like parenting, you're, you're supposed equal, but you're still the parent. There's mm-hmm. kind of an inherent hierarchy in it. Mm-hmm. But marriage, there's an equality that you haven't experienced. You've always been the child. Then you get married, and now we're equals. It's like a partnership yeah. that you're not used to. Uh-huh. And, and a lot of partnerships don't survive. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true. And yeah. There's a lot of reasons for that. I've, I think I've shared with you before, Matt, that I used to do child custody evaluations yeah. Oh, yeah. for the court. Which are grueling. Oh, this is yuck work. Yeah. It's some of the most emotionally brutal work that you can do. I mean, you think about it. No. What's more important to you than your kids? Right. And if the marriage falls apart, here's these people who are stuck in a position where they can't figure out how to share their kids. And nobody wants to give them up. No. So. Well, and they obviously they already can't talk, which is why they're to the point mm-hmm. of an evaluator. They can't communicate. They can't. Right. So now you're dealing with two parents that can't communicate and a child that's in limbo. Right. And you were the one that would have to go in and evaluate and decide. It's kind of like Solomon's sword. Ah. Oh. I mean, what do you do? It's a hard right? job. So I've, I've, found, uh, I've found personally a lot more joy in assisting people to save and enrich that key relationship of marriage. Yeah. And there's so much that can be done. In fact, I've found that there... There's a guarantee. What? I know, right? That's great. And, and that trips the skepticism meter totally. for a lot of folks right. when they hear a oh, shrink a say, oh, there's a guarantee. Yeah. But these these principles – see, principles are natural laws. Yeah. You yeah. know, like gravity. You don't get up and think, oh, I wonder if it's on today. Yeah, let's change that. It is. And uh, so these principles affect you. It's interesting, Matt. There was it was probably two decades ago, and you're probably familiar with this. Dr. John Gottman, you bet, did some research, groundbreaking research on relationships, and he found that roughly seventy percent of the problems in a marriage are unresolvable. Right, they're just not going to change. Right, like who who your the parents are of your wife. That's not changing. There are certain th- – and personality characteristics mm-hmm. tend to be fairly stable yeah. over time. 
I think I think Dr. Gottman was talking about conflict. And anytime you bring two people together, you're going to mm-hmm. have some conflict. Right. Because you have different backgrounds and different families and different opinions. History, Sometimes different right. cultures, different languages, different genders. Yeah. So differences create conflict. It's true. But differences are also the thing that give us a purpose for the relationship in the first place. Yeah. I mean, if you're both the same, one of you is unnecessary. <laughs> We won't say what's yeah. going Yeah, well, we know. I think it's but, obvious. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, it's the differences that make us relevant and interesting to each other. You think about even at the, the level of gender, it's the right. differences that are interesting. So differences are necessary to a relationship, but they also create conflict. Mm. So that was Gottman's point is that we're going to have differences that will, by its very nature, create conflict. Not a problem. Uh, kind of you're saying it's an opportunity. Well, yeah. You know what? And the thing that brought this to my mind, I, I heard doc, Dr. Gottman present this yeah. this research. He came to Salt Lake. Yeah, it was I remember. probably 20 years yeah. ago. Maybe you were there. And um, here's the thing that caught my attention. Because I share with some of my clients, for example, that, you know, 70% are unresolvable and they want to just throw their hands in the air. What's the use? Right. And others are just relieved. It's like, oh, man, we're not so weird. Yeah. But what Gottman found is that this was true of the miserable, highly conflicted, headed for divorce couples. And it was true of the happy, well-adjusted, stable, satisfied couples. They, so the happiest couples, the most satisfied couples didn't have a lower number. No. They had the exact same kind of level of conflict. 70%. They probably just were handling it differently. Right. That's the key. Yeah. They handle it differently. And then Gottman went on his research to point out what doesn't work. Mm. He called it the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Right. Yeah. Criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. Yeah. Avoiding. Yeah. Those are the four. He called it the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And if you handle your unresolved problems in that way, it's going to lead predictably to separation and divorce. In fact, that's it. Divorce. He could actively predict your divorce rate based on your yeah. how you handle that 70 Oh, he 70%. brags in his book that he can predict yeah. it in one interview. Which is amazing. Like, oh, you can really predict if I'm going to divorce or not? Like with a high yeah. rate, like 90-something oh, percent. 80s yeah. at least, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So, so it comes down to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. See, now – but here's the deal – we know we get it, okay? Oh, well, yeah. But it's our partners that need to hear this. Mm-hmm. I guess that very paradigm is <laughs> the problem, right? When I'm the, thinking, if they, if oh, if my wife could just Matt, quit making me mad. When, and even if you're right, yeah. Even if you're right, because when when you identify what someone else could improve, what does that look like to them? Right. And does it, ju- the, all this judgment, all this, yeah, criticism. Yeah. Which is the first of those four horsemen of the Right, apocalypse. here we go, and you're already in. So what we're going to do is get onto the other side of that equation. And what is it that works? Well, that's where we get back to principles. Principles always work. work. Right. It's like gravity. Okay, You don't have to turn them on. They simply are there. And as you connect to those principles and apply them, it changes everything. In fact, that's why I said it's guaranteed. Yeah, that's good. And there's nine... Yeah. That we've been able to identify. That work. Absolutely. Yeah. Every time. Give us some of them. So the first one we've talked about before on the show, I call it positivity. Yeah. Yeah. 
Positivity is taking a position. You think about it. You get it in your mind that your marriage is bad, and there's this thing called confirmation bias, which we're very familiar with in psychology, where your mind will go find and fabricate evidence. Fabricate? You mean like my mind makes up things? Oh, totally. To suit whatever I need to you know, create. To fill in the holes. You've got a blind spot in each eye. Right. But you don't notice it because your mind fabricates what's supposed to be there. Right. And it's as if you're seeing a full visual field. You're not. You've got a blind spot in both eyes. And in a similar way, once you take a position that your spouse is unfaithful, for example, mm-hmm. you're, I, I have a client, Matt, who if he brings her roses, that's evidence. That he's being unfaithful. See, you did it again because last time he brought me roses. And that's just an extreme example of confirmation bias. I say positivity, but really it's what position am I choosing? What am I choosing to believe about my marriage? Some people call this faith. Mm -hmm. Faith is choosing to believe. And as the first principle for a successful marriage and family, we've got to take a position. Yeah. And then in, in that way, we're inviting our mind to now fill in the gaps. That's cool. Okay, so if I take a position that I've got the best marriage in the world, and that is my position by choice, then my mind is going out and looking for all of the evidence yeah. and sometimes fabricating it. That's great. Because we're also powerful creators. We're going to make something, aren't we? That's such, that's such great advice. That's what we start with. It's good. That's the first of the nine. The second one is values, a shared set of values. And this is where, where um, religion or prayer or having a common goal or a, a common purpose for that marriage. And a lot of people go into marriage without any particular purpose. Right. Oh, yeah. So getting clear about that purpose. And this is where, um, where some coaching or some, some intentional work as a couple. I love that I have a coaching practice. And Matt, yeah, I remember years ago, I'd drive down the freeway and I'd see a picture of Matt Townsend up Isn't there weird? on a billboard. And it was like coaching, Huge not therapy. Head. Yeah. Right? Do you remember those? Yeah, totally. And I put out a video about this recently on my channel too, about coaching versus therapy. See, therapy is is based on a pathology model. Yes. And it serves an important role for people who are in a recovery place. Position. But also psychotherapy to a lot of people sounds like therapy for psychos. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to sign up for that. Right. They're like, we're doing okay. Well, sure, you're doing okay. But are you truly fit, thriving, prospering? Are you taking this marriage, for example, and, and moving it to a place intentionally that is at a higher level or at a higher set of values or purpose mm. than you had before. It's powerful. So that values, perspective, um, that's the second yeah. of these nine principles. Give us a couple more. What, what else can a couple be doing principally that, that would actually make a difference today? The next one on the list is willingness to change. <laughs> This should go without saying, right? Yeah, you would think so, huh? The ability to to humbly look at yourself. Now, you mean the person, the other person, uh, needs yeah. to be willing to change. Right. That, or I need to be willing to change. I can't tell you how many times. You've had this, I know. too. When I a couple a comes into your times, office, right? can you change my spouse? 
right? That's essentially what they're asking right, for. Right, exactly. Uh, can I just do a little disclaimer? Because, Please. And, and I don't know if we'll get through all nine of these on the show today, but I've covered them in, on a video on my channel yeah. too. In fact, again, that's if they just go to YouTube and then look up um, your Live on Purpose TV, they'll find it. Yeah, or you can do a forward slash, youtube.com forward slash. Live on purpose TV, no That's spaces. Easy. That's easy. That's the quickest way to get yeah. there. But there's there's one about these specific nine principles that we're talking about here today. Here's the disclaimer. These are power tools. Okay? Yeah. Power tools are efficient, they get the job done, and they are extremely dangerous. Now you I can have lose to a say, finger. honestly, Matt, I said one of the first assignments I send couples home with is to memorize these nine principles yeah. because I want them to have their tools on board, right? But if these are power tools, they can do some damage too. Yeah, I remember junior high shop class, and we had all the safety posters on the wall, and one of them said, "Don't drill to kill," <laughs> right? And you'd think, well, you don't use yeah. a drill as a weapon, yeah. but you could, uh, right? Scary. And I had a client come in once who had cut off half of his hand with a power saw. Saws cut wood, great. Yeah. Uh, and they cut flesh too, right? Yeah. So, and not to be too graphic about that, but just understand that power tools are dangerous if they're not used according to the safety guidelines. And what you just said is exactly what we need to be aware of because if you use these principles, on someone. Yeah, to hurt someone, to hit somebody. Or for the purpose of changing someone. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be worse. I sent a couple home to memorize these principles. They came back the next week worse. Isn't that amazing? And yet, because they went you were home supposed and to be fixing it. They were using these principles. Oh, see, you're not doing number three. Yeah. Well, you're not doing number five. See, right. they're using them to criticize and judge each other. Yeah. Well, we're off to the races with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So I've got to be willing to look at my story, change my re- response, change my approach. Humbly look at it. And remember, the safety guidelines for these nine principles, they are for personal use only. Don't. Yeah. Personal use only. Seriously. That alone That's... is probably the most important thing that I can leave with you today. Give us one just... One more thing um, that could immediately uh, create a different hope in my heart to want to change. Some people don't want to change because it's they seem like it's gone on too long. It's unfixable. They're hopeless. Right. So if somebody feels hopeless right now, mm-hmm. is there something they could do that, that would just re-energize them enough to then want to go look at the other nine points? That goes right back to principle number one. Choose a position. And the quickest thing that you can do from a practical standpoint is gratitude. And I'm talking about gratitude for what is the way things are right now without changing anything. Instead of, you know, bemoaning what isn't, Mm -hmm. be grateful for what you have. Exactly. And hold that up. Which feels a little counterintuitive because some people, especially when it comes to a marriage, they feel like, well, if I express gratitude for the way things are, then things are never going to improve. Right. Which isn't true, by the way. Human psychology is such that when you feel that you're in a good place, you naturally feel motivated to upgrade it. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? We're always wanting it even better. You'd think, well, I'm satisfied here. I'm never going to change anything. It's not true. No. It's not true because you have to move forward and create something. Yeah. 
It's like, yeah, it's like treading water. You got to. So start from a position of gratitude. You could take, for example, start today. Make a list of 25 things for which you are sincerely grateful. I mean about life in general. Yeah. But make sure that at least half of them, that's 13 if you're doing the math, at least half of them are about your spouse or your marriage the way it is right now. That's cool. And I don't even care if you've been, you know, considering divorce. But it, it'll it, still it's work. something. It will work. It'll still work. You will. What you're doing is you're inviting your mind to, f- to, to take find a different it. position. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay? And it will. It'll find it. Basic. So you start Basic. with the gratitude. But those nine principles are guaranteed. And I know that as you apply the safety guidelines, which is they are for personal use yeah. only. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Don't, you're going don't, to come up with some brilliant stuff. Don't use them against someone or to get someone else to change. Dr. Paul right. Jenkins is his name. If you go to, you can go to his website, drpauljenkins.com. Uh, where you can find out more about his podcast, or you can also go to YouTube forward slash Live on Purpose TV. That's it. And uh, game on, my friends. This is uh, it's good stuff. Good insight, Paul. Thanks. Thank thanks you for man. being with us. Up next, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. We will be finding out what they're going to be talking about on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the, in your marriage. Once again, folks, it's time to shoot it down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. We want to find out what they are preparing to talk about on their show in just 10 short minutes from now. Spencer and Jeremy, hello, gentlemen. Matthew, it's wonderful to be with you following another unforgettable national championship game. Was that not incredible or what? Yes, it was so good. It was so good that we're not going to end the college football conversation today. You're not. You're going to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Are you going to talk about why BYU wasn't in the final game? Nope. Uh, Good. N- no, we don't okay. have time to address all the reasons. <laughs> Good. What? What? But we okay. Need seven months for that. What? What did you <laughs> think we'll though? They pull out their quarterback that got them to the big dance, Amazing. and they Two play a, a row, freshman. By the way, not just this year. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, that's, I guess that's, the decision. that's good coaching, I guess. If it's not working, let's try something different. Well, it's, he's, Nick Saban's the greatest collegiate coach of all time. Now, now it's official, right? You put him over Bear Bryant. Yeah, old era. Not as many teams competing. Yeah, wow. There's more, uh, there's more parody nowadays. I think it's, yeah, but is it like Bill Russell, 11 championships. Well, there were like eight teams. It's way more complex and. Uh, demanding now as yeah. a head coach, and there's like three extra games and money, yeah. and yeah, like it's he's the guy. It's amazing how much he balances, you know. And it takes a great leader like that to <laughs> to, to have the guts to pull off a decision like that. And I was just saying to Jeremy, his logic was pretty solid. He said, "Look, if if we're going to win this game, we have to pass the ball, and our best passing quarterback is the guy that we put in." Uh, I mean, and by the way, he wins the game with a forty yard. Rocket Which after he gets sacked for six to a sixteen yard loss, and he's once, a freshman. Once that sack happened, there's some real danger there that this is going to be oh a fourth down and long situation where they can't kick a field goal, yeah, and so on because they couldn't make a field goal to win it earlier. Classic Alabama tale, by the way. They can recruit every position but kicker. <laughs> so and true. then, and then this incredible play 
by the by the freshman quarterback. Tua, what's his name again? Tagovailoa. Tagovailoa, where he looks off the I safety know. the whole way. He knew where he was going at the snap. Yep. Throws a throws a rocket and wins the national championship. Incredible finish. I mean, especially to just the psyche. You'd think you'd be down and afraid. You just had a 15-yard sack or whatever. It's so chill. That's amazing. Fresh Reminds me of up. you guys doing the um, lip sync or the the what's it called? Uh, singing at our family, re- I mean, at our reunion. Why do I keep saying We've family reunion? We're definitely not having a family reunion. No, yeah, I think we, we should. We did karaoke, and that was a cappella, man. You there killed no, it. There was no karaoke actually involved in that. It was just a straight-up original a cappella. And perfect harmony. Jeff had to wipe away a tear. Yeah, well, he's always crying. It was also his third um, hot dog, J-Dog. Yeah. I have a friend named Carrie Hokey, by the way. <laughs> do you really? Carrie Hokey. Let's do the Carrie Hokey. Mm-hmm. She used to work with BYU football. She was Bronco Mendenhall's executive assistant. Really? And one day in practice, an overpass hit her right in the right in the head. No. Boom. What happened? Not good. She was all right. Could she do the carry hokey hokey after that? It took her a while to do the carry hokey later. <laughs> so on your show, you're going to now segue from a national championship game into what? discussion of football. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you, Matthew. Yes. Like a seasoned pro taking us right where we want to go so <laughs> that we can tease the people about what's to happen. Yes. And that is, how many wins will BYU football have in the 2018 college football season? Mm-mm. Look, we're only seven and a half months away. And by the way, so BYU, could be, going. BYU could be playing a, a freshman as quarterback. We don't. Yeah, exactly. It could happen. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be. There's a new yeah. offensive staff coming off the worst season in 49 years for BYU football from a win-loss perspective and another loaded schedule. I mean, the way-too-early top 25 put out by ESPN has BYU facing three top 20 teams. Mm. Two in the top 10. On the road. Oh, uh, boy. Both on the road. Ah. Uh. Smells like L's. <laughs> but don't look at it that way. Look at it that they are playing Utah State at home, aren't they? Do they do get the Aggies in Provo. That's yeah. the biggest game for Utah State. <laughs> they do get the Aggies in Provo. And we're asking, what will be the biggest win for BYU football in 2018? Because we know so much right now, we want everyone to tell us what the biggest win will be. Yes. That's good. It may or may not surprise you. <laughs> Thank you, Grandpa Jones. <laughs> He's just spinning off what we heard before we started talking with you. Okay. I was like, where did that come from? I thought you've been aging. West Virginia. I am aging currently. (laughs) Oh, it's not necessarily just an old person. No, it's from West Virginia. Okay. (laughs) It's a hillbilly. Is that what it is? Just trying to figure this out. I'm trying to get your accent down. It was either Scottish, Irish, or hillbilly. I couldn't tell. You guys are great. Hey, thank you, man. So straight ahead, folks, BYU Sports Nation, more with Spencer and Jerem. You're not going to want to miss it. They, um, they truly are the real deal. And they'll do it in they're, – they're multilingual. I should have asked them. Darn it. I should have asked them uh, what they think about um, 12 Diet Cokes a day, which is the president's diet of 12 Diet Cokes. Is that too much? Is it – I think they are both in the neighborhood of 12 Diet Cokes a day. No. Those two? They are specimens. How do you think they can stay up watching all of these sports and then get here to talk about them all day? Well, the same way you stayed up and watched the the award shows. Yeah, but that was a once a year thing. No, but this is only once a year. Touche.
<laughs> I love it when we spar like that. Jeffrey, you're a good man. Um, again, my my only contention is that the president – everyone's questioning his sanity. It's not about sanity. It's maybe very much about Diet Coke. I've had – I used to drink a lot of Diet Coke, a lot. And that's more of a self-control issue than a you know sane or insane issue. Well, and that's because we have it here and I used to just stick my head under the, under the little spout and just drink, 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 drink after every show. And then the health department was called. Blasted. Hey, as you know, we like to wrap up the show giving you some more hope. And today's hopeful story is a hero's story where uh, a man is heralded as a hero after he stopped a Christmas robbery at a Wendy's in California by bashing the thief over the head with a chair. The knife-wielding suspect, whose face was covered, pushed his way to the front of the line at a fast food restaurant last month demanding money from the cashier. Yuba City police officials told the Sacramento Bee... An onlooker, an onlooker named Daniel said that he saw the man brandish a knife at the employee and then turn to someone next to him and say, she'll take care of you in a minute. And that's when I brought the chair down on his head, Daniel said. The bystander who told reporters that he had training as an Air Force security policeman said he noticed the thief's weapon and acted because he didn't want to turn it, uh, this to turn into somebody's Christmas memorial. And, yeah, it's about uh, that time I took a couple of steps steps with a big chair in my hand and brought it down on his head. By the way, then the police were called. They got there and arrested the man. And uh, all is well. Everyone else just kind of stepped back to watch. How cool is that when one person is willing to step up in a time with such, you know, fear and, and trepidation? This guy steps up and takes a chair to somebody. Anyway, he's the hero of the day. And I'm sticking to it. Uh, That is the show, my friends. We are so honored to have you listening to us. We'll be back again tomorrow to see if we can't elevate all of our game right here on the Matt Townsend Show. But stick with us. BYU Sports Nation is up next. 